Welcome everyone to another King Reflections episode and today we have a special guest, Scott Kieran. He's been in prison twice and the second time that he was in prison he actually wrote a numerous amount of poems and decided to then put them in a book. In today's episode we actually go over some of those poems and some of the chapters that explain the poems and explain why he came up with those poems. So it gives you a little bit of a taste of what the book holds and I encourage you to actually grab a, hold, grab a copy of this book uh, and read it for yourself. It's quite insightful of how the prison and the whole uh, system works, the whole process of uh, getting into prison, um, and also just the thoughts that go through your mind and any amount of stress and anxiety that comes with that whole process, being away from family, being away from friends, um, and trying to push yourself through in an environment that is quite intense and quite alpha. Um, and you're always in the state of, like I said, anxiety, watching out for yourself and trying to just survive mentally and physically. But I'll let Scott explain it in this episode. So sit back, enjoy, and I hope you get a lot out of this episode as much as I did, especially every conversation with him and letting him just talk and being able to express himself. It was just a great insight to who he was and how much development he had made since being out of prison and while being in prison as well with those poems so please have a listen take those nuggets uh, and apply them to your life as well because you'll be a much better person and gain a lot of benefit from it enjoy all right guys i'm here with scott kieran he's an ex-biker associate um, just recently we came out of prison last October in 2022 and he's actually written a book and this book is full of his poetry that he wrote uh, when he was in prison and I know Scott via uh, my friend Callan Boyd, shout out to you Callan for uh, introducing me or getting me onto this book and to Scott um, and he's like, and Callan was like, oh I'm, I've got a, a friend that's actually just written a book because he wrote poems um, during his, your sentence. Mm. Uh, both sentences or just one? No, just the most recent one. Just the most recent one, yeah. And um, I'm there going, well, I have to jump on because Callum was just like praising you of how much you've changed your life and mm. how much you've, uh, since the second one that you were, you were in, how much you've just chosen, in a sense, the king path that I always preach, uh, the much more productive development growth mm. path rather than being stuck in your ways with uh, the destructive path, which was all, all about crime and stuff. So when Callan told me about this, I was like, I have to get onto this. And that's when I reached out to you um, or we reached out to each other. Mm. And I was like, I, like, when is the book coming out? You know, because I, I need a book. And then I you think did- you just got the first copy. Actually, I think I sent you a PDF before it was edited. Yeah, and I was about to say you sent was- me a PDF. And then when I got the book, I was actually, because I, I read the first three chapters of, mm. of the PDF and- you had the poem first before... Yeah, that's right. We changed the format. That was the um, publisher's idea, but um, when he suggested it, I thought it was a much better format because okay. I've kept the chapters quite short. Most of the chapters, as you would know, probably about five pages. Some are even shorter. Yeah. Some are seven or eight, but I thought I really wanted to nail down on the content of the, the chapter and what it was all about and then leave the poem to the end so that the reader was left with something. Oh, okay. You know, like some people will devour a book in one go and other people will read it in segments. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that, um, especially in my time in jail, a lot of people will say to me, I can't read. Like, oh, they can they can read, but they can't read books. So they'll say that, um, you know, they'll read a page and then by the time they get to the end of it, they've forgotten half of what they've read. Yeah. And I would say to them, well, 
reading and retaining the information is a skill just like any other one. You just got to do it again and again. Correct. I was the same when I started reading. Yeah. But um, a lot of people will pick up that book and they're at the beginning of their reading you know, journey. Some people will read one book and never read another one and some people will read one, love it, and read a hundred. Yeah. So, but I wanted to capture you know, those people that um, have never read before or read one or two books with a short attention span. I thought, I want to cut to the point because um, one of the main reasons that the overarching goal of that book was to be of benefit to people, whoever it was that was reading it. Yeah. But there's going to be a lot of people that read that book that have got issues around drug and alcohol abuse, have got trauma issues from their past, yeah. um, and they're looking for something. Yeah. And if those people are not experienced readers that I want to still be able to cut through, so I kept it kept it short, um, kept the chapters, you know, digestible. Yeah. So um, when I was um, – the publisher suggested to keep the poem at the end, I thought, well, that's actually probably a better method. Yeah. Um, that, that somebody um, that is in that position could read a, a short chapter, then read the poem and let yeah. put yeah. the book down and then, you know, yeah. consider it. Because, yes. Um, the, you know, like if somebody's looking to make changes in their life, there's information in there that might be able to help them, but – changes and you know the work is up to the individual yeah. so i want them to be able to go away have a think about it add their own thoughts or their own experiences to what they've read yeah. and hopefully that can that can help them out yeah so um i like the format with the poem yeah well that makes sense because i was actually going to ask you because i prefer the poem first and then mm. and then the the text but that makes sense why you would why you would put then your chapter first mm. and the poem at the end yeah initially i thought so too like that's when i was thinking of how to format it yeah like i was i wrote that book pen and paper in prison notepad yeah that's insane so, <laughs> so like there was all over the place i just had little numbers at the top one two chapters and i thought how am i going to structure it and i've got no idea you know yeah. Like I, yeah. um i've never obviously never done anything like that before so in my head the, putting the poem first made sense you know because everything started with the poetry yes you know, that was yes. how i started that's how prison poetry started. Correct. Yeah. It was there's no book um, in my mind. There was no intention to publish even the poems or anything. I was doing what I wanted to do for myself. Mm. So because it all started with the poem, it made sense in my head to put the poem first. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, after a conversation with the publisher and he explained it and I thought about it, I thought, well, that will probably be more effective in what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. yeah. So that's the format. Yeah. And I, I, what I actually did was I actually went back and read the poem first, mm. read the chapter, and then read the poem again. Mm. That's how I did it, just because I was like. Um, there was some even some poems where it was like oh I'm a bit confused on it and then read the chapter I'm like ah oh, now it makes sense well because of the original format there is some parts where I'm writing in the chapter which is referencing the poem and the way that it's structured you haven't read the poem yeah, yeah. so you can tell that I have started with one plan and ended up with another yeah so um, that I, look how anyone chooses to read the book is up to them. Some yeah. people will cut to poems. Like they obviously at the start, there's you know there's a um, you know a list of chapters and where it is, and there might be some poems or information there that people want specifically, and will yeah. cut straight to that. So however, once you buy the book, it's yours to do what you like with it. You yeah. burn it if you like. <laughs> so how you don't read burn it? it. <laughs> don't burn it. Please give it to someone. <laughs> well, yeah, we gift it. Um, yeah, but so however anyone chooses to read it, whatever's going to be most benefit to them. Yours to do what you like with. Yeah. What I loved about it, though, is that, like you said, it was such an easy read. It mm. was straight to the point. And I think that's what, for, for exactly for someone like me who has no idea about mm. the politics of prison, and mm. you even go into the, one of the chapters with that, the prison mm. politics, and even just the, the, like the very first chapter, how you go into the detail of the process. Mm 
heading into jail like i have no idea about any of it and never have any i don't have any friends that have been mm. in a sense of jail i do have one friend at the moment in there um but reading it was like a, a, a very good insight for me going okay now i'm a little bit educated in this mm. now i understand where people are going through where their head is at especially going in mm. i started with that poem as it wasn't the first that i wrote but i started with that poem um because all the the journey that i went through um my self-development my growth and this learning journey that i've been on started with like obviously i had been to prison on previous occasions but this turnaround mm. and me developing these philosophies and um you know changing things in my life started when i first well sorry when i came into prison this most recent time yeah so i thought i really wanted to paint a picture for people that's reading the book to say that this is how it started i wanted to put them in the shoes i wanted to paint a visual you know, this is what it looks like this is what it feels like um especially how it feels like because it is a daunting experience um for anybody going through that that experience mm. but because i talk about you know like hitting rock bottom you know when i went in that time i wanted to paint a picture of this is what it is like um but i also think that too that will grab interest like because for someone like yourself um the whole process of going to uh, into prison is a mystery and you're thinking well, what would that be like you know like people ask me questions like do you get raped in jail and i was like no you don't <laughs> but you know i am curious about that yeah <laughs> but no you don't <laughs> i probably get that asked that question more than any other question like out of all the questions people can ask me like have you read the book is there anything else you want to know they just want to know if you got fucked while you're in prison <laughs> so, i was like no i didn't so, but like it is it is a um it's a whole a foreign experience to most people and i think that it is probably a a, um, a good starting point obviously and to yeah. grab someone's attention um because like i said before like i really do want the book um and the content in it to be of benefit to people and a part of that is to grab your attention and it's something that people are genuinely interested in regardless of what your view is on you know like crime the prison system or you know how things should go or you know whether people desire uh, deserve a second chance or not yeah. uh, you know it's i guess irrelevant um but people are still genuinely interested in so i thought that was a good place to start yeah so when you were in prison mm. and because you said in the book you, you mentioned that you read a lot of books or you read a lot of books and did you read a lot of books before you the first poem came about or were you like yeah yeah i did um one of the so before i went to prison the first time i hadn't read a lot I think I started when I was a teenager. I read the Harry Potter books, <laughs> and I loved them. I remember like, um, like the times when I was like down at the clubhouse or uh, in jail, and people I'd mention that I've read Harry Potter. People were like, "Obviously, these are like hardened criminals," and I'd be like, "Don't fucking don't badmouth Harry. Harry's a gangster." <laughs> so I, mean, I, the, I really enjoyed the books, but um, they were like the first books that I read, yeah, yeah. and. I might have read one or two others, but not a lot. So by the time I was in prison for the first time, I was 20, 29, I went in for the first time, and I'd probably read 10 books, Max. So, like, I wasn't I wasn't much of a reader. Mm. Um, and obviously, you got a lot of time in there with nothing to do, nothing constructive to do. Uh, so I did read here and there. Um, I had a cellmate who read a lot, and um, he sort of introduced me to a few books and got me going. Um, but even the, the first sentence that i've done was just over a year um it wasn't a great deal but when i went in the second time um that's probably when i started reading a lot more and then the the, the most recent time 
which is a four and a half year sentence or just under, um, that I really got stuck into it then. Because I was hungry for knowledge. I wanted to learn, you know. So I sort of, before I was probably more reading, you know, just for something to do, entertainment value, you know, a bit of knowledge or whatever. But this time I was really after it, you know what I mean? Like I was thinking if there's some bit of information in there that I could use to help me, then I'm, I'm going to seek it out. So um, sometimes it was just reading novels because you want something to do. But um, I think like we discussed before we started recording that, you know, uh, like reading is, or were we recording when it was like, I can't remember. But, you know, like it's, uh, you know, like it's something you just get better at as you go on. Um, so I, for any chance I get to read, I will. Um, but then I, I read a bit, you know, on some subjects like philosophy and um, I read autobiographies and then I would, if I, like um, books on Buddhism, books, anything with information in it that I thought could be useful for me, no matter what it was, I want, I want to know it. I want to, like I've had books piled up in my cell, like 10 or 15 piled up there and I read every single one of them. So um, it was more um, this most recent sentence um, and then um, I think, you know, like I was able to take, um, I was able to take pockets of information that I was able to use myself but then I sort of went on, like as I started to um, feel like I was gaining some benefit from it, I started to form my own thoughts and philosophies and stuff about it, um, you know, certain subjects and that's when the poetry started. I thought, I've got my own views and opinions and I've been able to apply what I've learned through reading books to my own situation. And then I've, you know, then I can still, now I can sort of go on to say, you know, like um, I've walked in these shoes, I've got the experience, I've lived it. Whereas one of the things I say in my book, which I think could probably be misinterpreted a little bit, hopefully like in one of the chapters I I cleared it up, but I said, you may not like something written from some academic wanker. And but I did go on to say, like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to someone with a, a tertiary qualification yes, or someone that's qualified yes. because there is real value in going and speaking to someone like that. Yes. But some people will resonate with somebody who's had the lived experience more. And I can yeah, yeah. say that, you know, I am speaking um, from you know, knowledge that I've gained through my own experiences. And um, if somebody, you know, if I talk about drug addiction, if I talk about violence, if I talk about the mistakes that I was making in my life, um, that might grab somebody's attention who say, well, I was like you. I'm like you. I, you know, I was a kid with, um, you know, with problems, and I lashed out, and I turned to drugs, or you know, whatever. Probably, if they're more inclined to mm. um, take information from somebody or a point of view from someone who's lived it, then then that's my goal. You know, like I can be of benefit. So I can the stuff that I talk about in the book is stuff that I've learned through my my own experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What books stood out to you the most when you're in prison? Um, one that really motivated me, like no books ever motivated motivated me before. <laughs> <laughs> when I could get it out, yeah. no book ever motivated me like this before. Uh, motivated me was um, "Can't Hurt Me" by Dave Goggins. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think anybody who reads that book goes, "I'm going to go for a fucking run." Uh, <laughs> when I was listening to it, I'm there going, "I feel like I need to run yeah. while listening to this." Think, I'm a piece of shit. I'm so lazy. Like I've got to go run at least thirty k's today just to square up a little bit. Um, but that was, 100%. I think that was a great book to go get off your ass and fucking do something. Like by by that stage, I'd written a few poems, um, <clears throat> but I hadn't even formulated any plan for the book at that point. Um, but it was later on um, once I started sort of having a, a plan and goal for producing a book that I you know drew on that information and that inspiration that I got from that book. It was like have a fucking go, get out and do it. Doesn't matter how hard it is or the setbacks. If thirty. 
you get 30 publishers that knock it back, I'll, I'll go to the next 30 until I get it done. Mm. So that was um, that's a great book. It has a real impact. I don't think anybody's read that book and goes, oh, I didn't really get much out of it. Like anyone who's read that book goes, that's a fucking great book. 100%, yeah. So um, another one um, I liked, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Yeah, I heard you mention that actually in Russell's podcast. Yeah, so, uh, what's Russell's podcast, sorry? Uh, the Stick Up podcast. The stick Up. Stick up to, we'll take that in then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice little plug for it. Uh, yeah, that, that book, what I took from that was double down, keep going. Like, don't, he was, he started selling shoes out of the boot of his car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's where anybody can relate to that. You know, like, we all start if we any business end, endeavor and no matter how successful it ends up being like unless you've got millions of dollars you know to pump into it most of us start in that position where we're just having a go with not much and I, anybody can gain inspiration like he, he was not his family weren't wealthy he was not wealthy he was just a runner that was it and he just thought i can make better shoes and he just he went and he went out and had a go and sold shoes out of his car and every time he made a profit, he put it back into the business and went again and again and he started enjoying success. And even excuse me, even when um, he was starting to generate good income, he was still just that mentality of double down. So even if you take the business um, aspect out of that and you apply it to another area of your life, just double down, keep going, don't give up. You always have people when you're trying to achieve something try and tell you that you shouldn't do it. There's so much negativity when you try and do anything. It doesn't matter what it is. And um, I just – that attitude that mentality his philosophy even though it was applied to business you can apply it other places that's something that i really took from that like just have a fucking go Mm -hmm. and somebody tells you you can't you go fucking watch me and he did that's what he did you know and i I, I, it was um yeah that book had a great deal of impact um and i would say that um the another i read a lot of books on buddhism that book called again shoe shoe dog phil knight okay yes <laughs> um so yeah and then cool. the books on uh, the books on buddhism on um before we were recording to say i'm not that religious a person but um i really love the philosophy of that religion because it's all about you taking onus and ownership for the things that are going on in your life no matter what they are good or bad mm. it all boils down to you and you put your look at any situation um or just about any situation you can lay some blame to yourself whether it's good or bad, um, because sometimes you take a course of action that's really beneficial and you can say, well, I'm responsible for that, um, which something that really resonated with me because that's when I was at my rock bottom and thinking, how the fuck am I going to turn things around and you know, I want to be a better man, I want to be a better person, I want to be a better father, I thought, this is all on me. Like, it's my responsibility. It's not my son's fault that his dad's not around. It's my fault that, that I'm not around. It's not anybody else's fault in the community. It's not the police's fault that I'm in jail. It's mm, my, fu- my yeah, fault. Yeah. Um, and it's only like when you can take ownership and look at yourself in that way that you can start to make positive changes. And that's what the philosophy, what was a part of the philosophy of that religion is to like get to the core of why things happen and, and what's going on and how you can, you know, make the necessary adjustments and be better. So that I, I read a lot of books on a lot of text on um, Buddhism because um, it was sort of I was already in that thought process. It was just something that I was able to draw and think of connect with. Yeah. So yeah. I would say that yeah, that's probably what I, what I've got the most out of. I would say. Uh, what I, what I appreciate though is that you did even as your first book. You wrote it because you wanted to make an impact on people's lives. You wanted you wanted it 
to hit hard in a sense and and in a sense prick them to push them on the right direction sort of mm. thing from your own experience and you, you were like constantly throughout the book like you said with with that concept with the buddhism about taking responsibility of your own actions and your mm. own decisions it is riddled pretty much throughout the whole book which i really appreciate um and i think that's one thing that i, that I really liked about it is like, like i said it was short short chapters straight to the point and that it is you're encouraging the reader just like in a sense like david goggins to really put their own uh, behavior and their own actions and their own thought process into question and go hang on am i on the right path am i doing everything i can to improve myself or am i doing everything not to improve myself and end up in jail like you did sort of thing it doesn't matter what you write in a book or you say to somebody you can only ever point them in a direction you can't do the work for somebody you can't make the decision for them if they don't make the decision for themselves they're never going to do it anyway and i always use the analogy of a smoker you can you can tell them this is how much it's costing you this is the health um effects this is what it's going to cost you in the long run you're probably going to die 10 20 30 years young xyz yeah. but they will it doesn't matter what you say to them or how convincing an argument you make to them they'll only do it when they decide for themselves that they're ready to yeah so i c- it doesn't matter what anybody's looking for to get out of this book or any other book or anything they're looking for in their life you can't do the work for them mm. you can't give them all the answers either i think one of the reasons i feel like that my journey had well to date has been successful i hope it continues is though because i figured it out for myself i didn't have any help and i was seeking help i was looking for it and i got none mm. so i had to do the work and find the answers for myself i started asking myself the right questions but that process only started when i decided like i said i hit rock bottom i thought i'm gonna f- i can't do this no more i'm not gonna live my life like this um so you have to do the work for yourself if you read this book there might be only if you're looking for something there only might be one chapter one verse one something in there that Mm. resonates with you that gets you to that point where you're going to make the decision for yourself so i could have made the chapters longer and rebelled you you know made them 30 40 pages but it's still it's not going to make a difference yeah it's when you decide that you're going to um make the the choices for yourself then you'll be successful yeah 100 percent. and and uh we'll go through that as we go through each not each chapter not every chapter oh my gosh there's 26 chapters all together in this book be here till thursday <laughs> what was that be here till thursday yeah. <laughs> so we're, i'm just going to ask him to read some of the poems and then just uh elaborate on some of them so uh very first one that i want to get you to in a sense recite you don't have to recite all of it you can just recite what favorite parts of the of the poem like as you can see here with my book mm. i've only highlighted two two verses that really stood out to me yep people that one can no, i'll read the whole thing um and then just elaborate so this is the very first poem that he apparently wrote according to the little uh chapter that comes with it um and i can verify that it is the first poem that I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> it's right here in front of me <laughs> um and I'm, I'm actually curious like how did the poem come about like this is the questions i'll ask you after you read after you, you um read the poem so please go ahead your poem do you still remember we met when we were young lighting an inner spark illuminating our journey that was to come a force exists between us i don't know i can give a description kindred spirits or pairs a force of attraction pulls like gravitation we wandered from the light of one another as is with life sometimes we have had we have each had troubles things to work through falling on hard times 
You feel this connection. I know this to be true. Energy draws us together, you to me and me to you. This bond we share endures as perennial as the seasons. To deny its existence defies all logic and any good reason. Until the day comes that we reunite as is intended, I wait for you, our journey in time remains suspended. Our souls are pairs made for one another, we are doubles, to share through time side by side a couple. Most will never find the one in this precious lifetime, to know your mind and walk away would be an egregious crime. When fate's wheel turns and aligns your path with mine, we'll find each other as is intended for the rest of time. This is my message and I send it out to you. To fight to be together is a struggle that is not new. We may cause pain to some in our quest of the heart, enduring adversity to find what has been ours all along from the start. Excellent. Very good. Round of applause. Thank you. <laughs> what does it feel like reading your poem out loud? Um, that poem, I, to be honest, I undernut whether to put in. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I told you you'd have to tell me to keep the microphone up on multiple occasions. <laughs> yeah, I undernut whether to put it in. Um, okay. Yeah. But I thought the reason that I decided to put it in was because it was the first one I wrote. It was how the journey started. So I thought from that point it was important. Yeah. Um, so obviously it's, it's, a, it's a poem about a girl that I was interested in, um, that we had a little, obviously a little connection thing going on and just life took us in um, separate directions. Um, and she's moved on. She's happily married and I'm happy in my relationship and um, – I'm happy for her and I'm happy where I am. Um, but a couple of reasons I wanted, I decided to put it in other than just that's where the journey started was, um, yeah, I think it's important just to be honest and open, but also to, um, and a second reason that um, I decided to um, publish this poem and put this in the book was that it's a reminder for me that at any time, um, you know, unexpected, life can take unexpected turns. Um, when I first wrote this poem, it was just something that was, I was just, I was thinking about this girl at the time. And the poem just started to form in my mind. It was completely unexpected and I just decided to start writing it down. So when it was time to compile the, the poems and, um, put them in the book, I decided, no, I have to put it in because, um, there's a good message in it. In that, you know, like, you might be in a shit place in your life. You might be in a good place in life, wherever you are in your life. There, you just don't know what's around the corner, what's next, um, and where it might take you. So I thought it was important for that reason to put it in so that, um, which I discuss in the explanation of the poem to say that, you know, that's why I decided to put it in there. So anyway, so it's in there. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope you enjoy it. I think what I loved about it was the vulnerability, Mm -hmm. like, of, of what you're obviously truly feeling. And like, even though you were thinking of someone specific, uh, to me, poems like this, because you haven't mentioned any specific names. No. And you haven't really mentioned any specific features of her. No. Like, no, the color of her hair, the color of her eyes, like it's it's not even there. No. So, um, it was more about the way that I was feeling. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is important in a lot of my yeah. poetry and what I explain, it's my experience and what I'm feeling. So... When you're lying in your bed, in your cell, looking at the roof, you think a thousand different thoughts. Things go through your head. Like Sometimes you're in a cell for long periods of time, especially I spent a considerable amount of time in segregation. So you might not have a TV, you might not even have a pen and paper. Mm. So you've got nothing but time just to think and ponder. So lots of things do go through your head. Mm. So um, 
think about you know things that landed you in jail. You're missing your family. You're talk, thinking about a good time you had. You know, when I travelled Europe just before I come to jail for the first time. I reminisce on those type of things. Girls, mates, all sorts of shit. You think about just about anything. You're never going to have more time just to sit and think than you do when you're in a prison cell. So um, this is what I was thinking about at the time, and it just started forming in my mind the the poem and started just putting pen to paper. Um, it was probably the next day that I wrote my second poem, which I couldn't tell you which one it was after that. But um, And then once I started the process, sometimes I was in a week I'd be doing two and three at a time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, But this is where it all started for me. So Yeah. It made the cut. Yeah. And I actually, yeah, I, that's, that's one thing that, that I do appreciate is like for me as we're reading it, it's like you could apply it to anyone because it's a feeling. It's not in a sense specifically like people can put this and put that into someone in their life sort of thing. Yep. Um, that's what I really appreciate it is like I think everybody's got someone yeah. that they've had it in their past that they think about, you know, like they're fond of and you know, like so I think it's it's not obviously definitely not like a, a foreign experience. Like I think anybody that reads that would be able to relate in some way. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh next one I actually want to talk about is your friend Harley. Yep. So it's an ode to Harley on page fifty three. Yeah, so Ode to Harley, number seven, mm-hmm. <clears throat> chapter seven, sorry. Uh, and this one actually, like, I really enjoyed reading because, again, you're being vulnerable in the mm. sense of, and especially being honest of how, I don't want to be a spoiler alert because I want people to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> Just give them a taser, that's, yeah. that's all you're getting. Exactly. Prisonpoetry.com.au. <laughs> what is it, $25.95? dollars <laughs> I've got to lay something like that. <laughs> um, just the vulnerability because he, in, the, in, in, the, in the book you explained that he was one of your best mates. Like he, yeah, was, he was your best mate. Mm. And that you would do stupid things, risky things mm. together. Um, and obviously the, the one thing went, went too, was too risky or too went right too wrong in a sense and i think i actually teared up when actually reading this poem like because i could feel the grief mm. through it yeah well I, in anything that i write about in regardless of the subject matter i have to be open and honest mm. people will connect with you if you talk to them openly and honestly um and if somebody, like I said, is looking for something to gain benefit out of this, then I have to be open and honest. Um, if you want to make changes in your life, you have to be honest with yourself. If you want to cut through to people to help them make changes in your life, you have to be open and honest with them and they have mm. to be open and honest with you and with themselves. Mm. So I, I, I didn't leave anything out. Like when I was talking about a subject, I didn't think, mm, I don't really want to go into it in that way. I thought I'm laying it all out. I'm exposing myself. I'm being nothing but transparent and some of the subject matter is difficult subject matter to discuss but I think you have to be honest and if you're not honest or you withhold some bits of information then you're you're doing yourself a disservice, you're doing the people you're trying to benefit and trying to help a disservice and you're probably not going to connect with people in the way that you want to. Mm. So, And I also find it therapeutic for myself. I got, I found the poetry therapeutic. That, when I started, that was it was for me. It wasn't yeah. for anybody else. Yeah, uh, it was just getting yeah. noise out of my head. 
And I think a lot of the, the, the noise in your head that bounces around is a lot of the cause of your own stress and anxiety and the things that you worry and stress about. So for me, getting it out was obviously I've been through lots of traumatic experiences and traumas and grief and all that type of stuff. is a, It's a tough subject. Grief is tough to deal with. Um, unfortunately, it's something we're all going to go through at some point or another and yeah. that's probably something we're going to go through regularly you know like it's going to happen again and again um but it's something that people need help with as well of course it's so tough and it's it's a very uh it's a very raw experience you know so i thought well i have to be open and raw about the way that i feel and the way that i dealt with it because trauma um mm. as well as something that you have to address you have to deal with and it's fucking hard like my mate burnt to death in a fire and i got burnt trying to save his life it's a fucking horrible way to die the experience was a horrible experience to go through so obviously there's things um, you know post-traumatic stress and stuff like that that's attached to that um and if i were to just shut off or not talk about it then it's going to be damaging for me it's only going to get worse Mm. and then if somebody who else has been through some kind of traumatic experience um is looking for maybe um, you know if i'm open and honest they might get something out of that that can help them so I can now talk about these things and be fine. There's, I don't get triggered by it. I don't go back into some, you know, like they say that you can relive the experience and stuff like that. I can think about the experience now and it's not like I feel nothing because I don't. It's my best mate. It's a horrible experience. I wish it didn't happen and I feel, you know, I still feel grief but I'm very much in control of it and I feel that I can just discuss it, discuss it openly without any issue. Like, um, so, I wanted to be open and raw and honest, and I'm, and if somebody reads it, like you said, said that you know sometimes oh fuck this is fucking pretty raw, this is tough to read, mm. then I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you read it for us? Yeah. <laughs> An ode to Harley. What a time we had together. Although brief, your impact was profound. Despite the short years, my friend, we are forever bound. Your life cut short too soon from this world you departed. I'll find you in the next life. Our friendship has only just started. Your daughter is so like you. She reminds us of you in every way. We all miss you so much and think of you each and every day. Those you left behind, I promise I will always care for. I'll be there for them just as the friend you were all, just as I was the friend you were always there for. You live by morals, a loyal friend and a man of conviction. My memory of you standing proud, you truly are a vision. Our days were wild, always doing things our own way. We lived on our own terms. I loved every minute of every single day. Good at pissing people off, you would have thought it was our focus. We definitely had a knack for making everyone fucking hate us. Those in our circle, they knew we meant no harm. But to everybody else, our behaviour was cause for serious alarm. A thousand fond memories of, I miss those days with you, my brother. Until we meet again, rest well. Once more, I look forward to us seeing one another. Mm, that's good. I actually wrote, uh, highlighted, as people can see, I highlighted a lot. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you're studying for an exam. Yeah. Um, I'm very, like, I started uh, highlighting and analyzing books uh, this year. It was one of my goals is to actually deep dive, not just listen to the audiobook, but actually... Because I listen to the audiobook first and read it. 
Unfortunately, I didn't get an audiobook for this one, <laughs> but I will. Um, but I actually highlighted in this section like www.prisonpoetry.com.au. It's available. $24.99. I don't think it's that much. It's not an audible yet, but it will be soon, hopefully. <laughs> Who's my publisher? I'm going to shout out, get it done. I'm going to out you. Hurry up. <laughs> Who is your publisher? We can publish this. This is out. rubbish. You've got, you've got a week to get it out or I'm yeah. out you. <laughs> I'm, I need it. Um, so, one of the sections was like, uh, that you that you read was I've also learned something about the strength of character and compassion that people are capable capable of. For Harley's loved ones to show the love and support, compassion, and forgiveness they have towards me for the most horrific of circumstances, while enduring their own immense emotional pain and suffering, is a testament to the amazing quality of human beings they are. So, yeah. So um, Harley's mum and our friendship group, also um, Harley's daughter. Uh, daughter's mother and her family so obviously when anyone dies in any situation you're leaving behind a lot of people who are going through a terrible time but the circumstances of Harley's death the way that he died he went early it was from doing something stupid obviously that's just a whole other facet to well it's a whole other um, set of circumstances for them to deal with that's very difficult for them you know? yeah because it could have been prevented yeah well we didn't have to do what we done obviously it was just yeah. something fucking very stupid that cost him his life he paid the 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 ultimate price for making a mistake mm. and you can't undo it and mm. it's not the family's fault what happened is fucking my fault and harley's fault mm. and there's no one else to blame so in that situation and a big part of grief is you know like they just say, for instance, you know, like somebody loses a, a friend or a relative in a car accident. The part of grief is a feeling of, um, let's say, the the mother of that child that's died would feel guilty for letting them have him drove. Um, you're sort of like you're looking to attribute blame either to yourself or to somebody else. That's a mm-hmm. part of grief. And it would be very easy and they would be well within their rights to say, well, this is your fucking fault. you done this. You fight, Look what you've caused us. And they would want you know to be angry and and rightfully so if they were but then they haven't been they've been extremely supportive of me um which i didn't understand for a long time like i thought i don't deserve this Mm. like i was going through my own grief and but obviously the impact for them was much greater harley's daughter was only six months old when he died the impact for her is is forever she's she's never going to get to have all those good times that every little girl should have with her dad um you know there's and there's a potential for there to be a lot of problems in her own life as a result and then for her for um his partners um his partner is now raising her on her own that's tough that's a life sentence for her you know? mm. so like i'm fully aware of the um the impact you know like, and that's something that i've made sure that i you know like i i recognize because i was going through my own shit but you know like um these people are going through something a lot tougher and through no fault of their own. Mm. So it would be very easy for them to have turned right on me and I'd understand if they did. So it actually was a shock to me. I was thinking, I don't fucking, I don't deserve this. I feel awkward. Like I don't, like I've, there's always that guilt. Like it's, um, yeah, so just to, I wanted to point out the strength of character. Like I really learned something about that for them to be in um, their position and to show me compassion and mm. to be, they were supporting me. And I was thinking, like, you are the one that are going through the hardship. You're the one that had so, had something like the most terrible of circumstances, the most devastating of circumstances, and you are supporting me. Mm. Like, that really 
just I'll never forget that and I'll always be thankful for that it's something that I'm still trying it's like I've got to try and come to terms with because I think would I be capable of that in the same situation yeah. and it's all well and good to take the view that you know like you know I'm a compassionate person you know okay but if you can't fucking ever um, know how that would feel to be in that situation unless you were in it yeah. and when you're in a situation like that you don't know how you're going to react so yeah, exactly. um, I'm forever I'll be forever grateful and there's the it's points towards the the quality of people that they are and the levels of compassion and understanding and forgiveness that people are capable of and it's like i said i don't know if i could do it myself yeah 100 percent. yeah like i said you, you it's not until you put in that position that you don't know what you're capable of mm. we would like to say that we like we're like the better person and would be forgiving and mm. hold compassion and hold as much as we can judgment but again, you can't say that until you're actually in that position and yourself. You're only going to be in an extremely emotionally heightened state, mm. and then when you're in those heightened states, you're sort of you know your higher brain function shut down, and that's where you have mm. those things where you can think about something logically, and you can think yeah. something through, and think oh, I should be compassionate and all that type of stuff. You're not thinking that; you just think you're just going through fucking hell, yeah, yeah and exactly. just reacting. And it's exactly so, what it is, yeah. So yeah, like you said, until you're in that position, you could never you could never say how you would react and. Um, the way that they reacted, like I said, to the strength of character. That's that's what yeah. I can put it down to. Yeah, wow. I actually love how you put these little quotes at the end of the, each chapter. Mm. Uh, this one for this specific poem. When friendship leaves us through death, we feel cheated in life. Life doesn't play fair, so I vow to win the game for both of us by Amy Hoover. Yeah, so I thought that was really appropriate because I feel there's lots of things that have motivated me to change my ways to – you know, write the book and the the path and the things that I want to do next and be of benefit and help out and you know like be constructive and give back and there's an aspect of redemption too that I want to you know like I've there's I've put negative negativity out in through what I've done I was very violent you know like I've, there's been lots of you know lots of destruction lots of yeah. destruction and I want to be constructive and like so there is an aspect of um, redemption to that but a motivating factor there's lots of motivating factors. Um, in and of itself to be of to other people but to be show my son this is how you you know i want to be the type of man that i would like him to be and the way that you do that is to lead by example i want him to think fuck you know like i'm proud of my dad so that's a motivating factor but also too harley's life is over he's he's mm. that's, he's run his course but i think i'm going to do it for you you know like i'm going to you know put positivity out there that's a motivating factor for you for your family um, your life was you didn't lose your he lost his life for doing something stupid you know obviously it, you can say you lost your life for nothing but I don't want it to mean nothing mm. it can mean something and if, if um, I can do the things that I want to do and help people and be of benefit then that is, he's a motivating factor so I'll say I'm mm. going to win this shit for us I'm doing this for us mm. um, along with my family my son and his family and all the people that are showing me support I'm going to pay it forward I'm going to pay it back um, and then you know hopefully that his family can also feel like that um, he's still living on in some way. He's still doing some good. He's a motivating factor. You know, I'm doing it for you because of you. Yeah, 100%. you know. So I think there's some redeeming aspect to that um, to say that your life was not fucking forfeit for no fucking reason and it's for nothing and you've forgotten about. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So this next chapter, uh, and just along the lines of talking about death and mm. um, 
Uh, this one's called When Your Number's Up. Yep. And this is a, th- a constant theme that actually plays through my day in, day out. Mm. Oh, it's funny how you mentioned a chapter called Day There is one called Day in, Day Out. <laughs> but probably a very different subject matter from what you think of. Yeah. Um, just this concept of death, like we are eventually going to die, that it's, it's inevitable. Mm. What are you doing with your time? What are you putting on the table? Even when you phrase it like that, it's inevitable. It makes it seem like it's a long way off. It's inevitable, but yeah, okay, that's a long way down the track. Like, Tomorrow. Mate, I don't you want to jinx know. you, but you might die in a car crash on the way exactly. home. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I love the wood over. That doesn't happen. That's funny because I had a thought of that yesterday. I'm going, oh, how awkward if I actually had got in a car crash and died on the way up. <laughs> Just make sure you send me the edited version of this podcast before you do. (laughs) I don't want this two hours to be for fucking no reason. (laughs) I was like, where's the USB? Did you find it in the fucking wreckage? (laughs) I'll give you all my passwords before I go. Oh, don't do that, mate. I'll dig up some shit on you. (laughs) Um, But no, this this is what one of the chapters that I actually really love. So, Mm. poem. Please. Actually, look at that. Highlighted the whole thing. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you liked it. All right, when your number's up. None of us know how many years we have on this earth. Some people's flame burns long, while others' light is just a burst. This uncertainty makes life special, each day a wonderful gift to savour. The fact our time is finite, only adding more spice to life's flavour. No matter your faith, regardless of the beliefs you may hold, one thing that's universal to all, when you're called, you go, young or old. To worry is foolish, for worrying cannot change the inevitable. Your precious time is fleeting. Make the best use of the time you have available. Right now is the best time to set goals and follow your dreams. When your number's up, finished or not, that's the end of your schemes. I love my life, the good and the bad, the full experience I'll know. I hope I'll live 100 years, but when death calls, without fear, I'll go. So one, one, one uh, verse that I really liked is the second last one where it says... Right now is the best time to set goals and follow your dreams. When your number's up, finished or not, that's the end of your schemes. And even that that concept like whether your schemes in a sense are good or bad, that's it. Mm. Like once once <laughs> once you're gone, those schemes no longer are in play. We've all got goals, plans, whether you've set goals and set out, you know, like a a plan to achieve them or not. But like we're all like some people's plan is I'd like to own my own home one day. Some like whatever it is that you're looking to achieve. I want to go on that holiday. I've oh God, I'd love to go to Europe maybe in a few years or whatever it is that you want to do. We always just assume that we've got the time to do them. Oh, a couple more years, things will be, you know, be in a better financial position. Some people might be to start a family, but they, you know, we've all got busy, hectic lives now. So you think, well, I might, I might wait, you know, another f- four or five years, then we're gonna, we'll be in a better financial position, and then we'll start our family or whatever it is. Yeah. Everyone's got a plan. Everyone's got schemes, things they want to do. Yeah. Um, and we just all assume that we've got the time to do it. Yeah. And one day you just won't have time for your plans. Whether that, whether you die when you're fucking eighty or you know eighteen, it doesn't. Regardless, there are plenty of people that that I went to high school with that didn't make twenty. Plenty of people that I associated with him by in the bike clubs and people I know from jail and all that type of shit that didn't live past twenty five, thirty, forty. Like people die every day. Mm. People die. Mm. You know, get hit by a car, a car crash. Um, one girl that um, I used to do martial arts as a kid. And um, she was, I don't know if she was twelve or thirteen or fifteen or something. She went to bed with a headache and didn't ever woke up. She had a brain aneurysm in the yeah. middle of the night. She was a she was a young girl. Yeah. Um. She that that young girl. She had 
I'm sure that she had plans and aspirations for her life. She probably wanted to grow up and have a family, maybe start a business. You know, who knows what she wanted to do? She never got a chance to do those things. And she went to bed with a fucking headache. She was a healthy young girl. So we all take our time on earth as a given that we're going to make 80 or 100. We're going to see old age. Yeah. And fucking heaps of us don't Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And a lot of the people that I know that have lost their lives, you know, like I've had friends murdered, executed. I've had um, friends commit suicide you know, so you don't have to live the type of life that i have to have your life cut short there's plenty of people that you know that are good people that have don't deserve to go and they go just the same as in the big picture no one's life is any more valuable or any less valuable than anybody else and when it's your time to go you're fucking going whether you want to or not so mm-hmm. we all take it for granted because it's all it's a i don't want to contemplate you know, like it's an uncomfortable thought to think if I thought if I knew that I've got four days left, yeah. I'd be thinking, "Fuck, this is going to be shit." Like, I, don't <laughs> want, I don't want to get by by that bus. Like yes. I, don't, I, I don't want that yeah. to happen. There's shit that I want to do. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll live to eighty. Maybe I don't. The point is, no one fucking knows. But I've got plans now that the things that I want to do that are on the horizon, the things that you know, like within the next five years, say for instance. But I might not get there. Mm. So I think, what can I do now? What can I be doing today? Like, if I want to be of benefit to people, and I want to go, I want to do one of the main things I would love to do is to go into the kids' jails and talk to the kids and say, "Hey, I've fucking walked in your shoes. I've been where you are. Yeah, yeah. This is where it ends up, and it's an ugly path." Yeah. Um, you know, like I want to do that. There's no good me saying, "Oh, well, I'll do it in seven or eight years," because I might not be around in seven or eight years to do. It. Mm. Um, so I want to do that soon. Like mm. I want to get these. When, when, when I decided to publish this book, the goal was get out of jail and fucking publish it. I don't. I didn't want to stuff about for uh, three years and I'll get to it one day. Mm. I want to do it now. I wanted to sort it out because yeah. I might not. I'm, I could have died three weeks after I got out. Like the last time I got out of jail, after eight weeks, I got shot, and I very nearly could have fucking died. Mm. You know, like one, the first bullet hit me and. It, cut an artery in my arm and I was bleeding out and if it wasn't for a, a copper saved my life he pulled I was at a, I crashed into a pole because I lost a lot of blood and I was unconscious so because I lost too much blood I swerved hit a pole hit that pole at a hundred something K snapped it in half um, it was only by dumb luck or fate or whatever you want to call it that there was a copper 30 seconds down the road the call went out over the radio that there was shots fired in a residential area that's all that went over the radio, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, and then he come past attending the scene, not my accident. He was going to the scene. It just so happened that he passed an accident and has an obligation to stop. Wow. And I was bleeding out on the side of the road and he put pressure on my arm and saved my life. So That's intense. Only, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> only, and not only that, the guy shot at me until the clip was empty. It was unlucky that one bullet hit me. The rest missed luckily otherwise i could have been dead in that scenario people hit power poles at 100 110 120k however fast i was going and don't survive that so and if the copper was two minutes down the road i would be dead so there's all these factors within a five minute period of time where death experience near death experience whatever it is so after getting out of jail eight weeks last time I could have very nearly been dead. So when I got out this time, I thought, well, how do I know how long I've got when I get out this time? And yeah. will I be so lucky? Yeah. Not that I would put myself in that scenario because I put myself, I'm responsible for putting myself in that scenario. But you don't know what's going to happen. You have no idea what's going to happen. So I've used that and as a motivating factor. I contemplate death regularly. Less like you do. You said that you something that mm. you contemplate. It's a fucking great motivator because I think, well, I've, I feel like we're, even if I were to live to 50, 
or 60 or 80 that my time's running out. I haven't got time. I haven't got much time for fucking around. I've got to get shit done. Because yeah. that, that time, <laughs> I'm, I'm approaching 40 and I feel like it was only a short period of time ago that I was just leaving high school. Yeah. And yeah. That, was, that was a long time ago. You know? yeah. And I think because I spent so much time fucking around, like what have I achieved in that time? Like yeah, I would like yeah. to be in a position in my life at approaching 40 where you say, yeah. I've done X, Y, Z and I'm proud of all these achievements and look at this long list of things that I've done, um, which is one of the things I've done when I was in jail. I thought, what have I achieved? I wrote a list and it was, fuck, I was struggling to come up with anything good. Like, I got my black belt when I was 11. I was super dedicated to that when I was a kid. I started martial arts at five. I was competing in tournaments. Mm, wow. I was um, – and I was competing at a high level. I was teaching adults when I was 10, 11, 12. Um, I was good at what I'd done. Um, and it was an achievement. And then I thought, well, what else did I do? All right, I completed my HSC. I didn't get the greatest fucking score, <laughs> but I completed it. Yeah, yeah, I completed an apprenticeship. Like I was on a good path of achieving things in my life, and then I thought, yeah. well, since then, what have I done? Yeah, what fucking partied, fucked around, you know, a bit of travelling, um, spent time associating with fucking, uh, you know, a bike club, and then this time in jail. There's no achievement in any of that. Mm. I think, what have I done for the last ten years? I've done fucking nothing. What a waste! And mm. I'm approaching forty, and I've got nothing on my list for a long time. So contemplating my time running out. Like I look back at that time of wasted time, which is one commodity you never get back. You can't make more of it. It's, you, mm. From the moment you're born, that clock starts ticking and you can never put more time on the clock. Yeah, yeah. So I think, well, well, I'm sure I'll get to 50 and it will feel like it's gone like that and mm. then 60 and 70 and then I think, fuck, there's going to be – maybe there's some things I can't do now. I'm too old. I can't, I can't do those things. So it's a great motivating factor to, to contemplate your own death. Um, I feel like I've got a fire under on my ass. I've got to get shit done. You know, so – that's, I think that's one of the main values in contemplating um, your time being up. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I didn't even know about that story. I don't, I don't know if you're, I can't remember if you put into details about you being shot in the book. I mention it, but I don't go into do too much detail about the offence itself and, you know, uh, what happened. Um, I, I reference it, but yeah. I didn't, that's not what I want in the book to be about. Yeah. There's a thousand books out there about people talking about you know, like it's tough as prisons and my crimes and this and this guy done that and this guy killed that guy. Like I didn't want – that's not what this book is about. That's not going to benefit anybody. Yeah, no, yeah. So I, I think that it's um, important to reference my experiences and like saying these are – this was, you know, the offence and this is some of the aspects of the offence. But I didn't really want it to be about that type yeah. of stuff. So because I don't – I think it um, – it adds relevance, I guess, or it's a, it's it's an important it's a part of the my um, you know, journey, redemption journey, and yeah, you know yeah. turning things around to say that this is what happened because I was my criminal offending was fucking serious. I wasn't you know, stealing handbags or breaking into houses. I was charged with two attempted murders for for that mm. offence where I was shot. I stabbed yeah, two yeah. people in their home. Yeah. So that's a serious offence. That's attempted murder. Um, that carries in itself that offence could carry you know look. I wasn't – that's not what I ended up um, pleading guilty to. I um, My charges were reduced. But that's a heavy-duty crime and a heavy-duty um, yeah. um, circumstance. Um, before that, I was charged with Harley's death. I was charged with manslaughter. Mm. Um, before that, I was charged with uh, aggravated take detain. The accusation was that we kidnapped some guy, tied him up and tortured him for a couple of days oh. and extorted him. So these crimes are heavy fucking duty, which I – and the, um, the kidnapping case – um, I don't talk about – I don't think I even reference that in the book. Um, but I think it's important to, to touch on some of it um, because it, it's – for me to turn things around, it wasn't a small feat. You know, like it's 
I was at the extreme end of mm. criminal offending. Um, you know, anything bike club related and that type of life is heavy duty life. It's not a walk in the park. Mm. So I think, um, I, I think that, um, touching on it is important, but I didn't want to emphasize it either. Yeah. No, not that I'm so, a, sorry, not that I'm trying to shy away from the things that I've done. I don't try and make excuses. One of the things that I do is take full ownership and responsibility for the choices that I make. I just don't want to glorify it in any way because there is nothing good in it. There is no glorification in it. It's a bad path. Even if you're looking to go again, you're selling drugs or you're going down that the bike club path or the criminal path to make money, like any success you enjoy will be short-lived. So that's one of the things I really don't want to do is put any sort of emphasis on it. The good aspects, or mm. what is perceived as the good aspects of it, yeah, because yeah. there is no good aspects. Of it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I was just uh, intrigued and about the timing. You were saying how if that cop wasn't thirty seconds away, mm. you wouldn't be here. Yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't uh, be having this conversation. Well, there's <laughs> lots of things that could have gone differently about that that one specific thing, but lots of things that could have gone differently in my life. Yeah, little things that would that would I wouldn't be here now, or other people wouldn't be here now, and it's fate's wheel yeah one thing i actually highlighted was um rather than take the tough tough option while they are still healthy and battle the addiction they take the easy option and continue with it until they are forced to battle and the addiction and, and cancer to get and together hmm? and the issue i think yeah. i can't remember exactly words but what i'm saying is that um so i think i'm talking i referenced smoking there i think i said earlier that's um like I use um, smoking as an example, I think when I'm talking about that. So I'm saying what I'm saying there is that yes, smokers so, that have developed cancer. Yeah, yeah. So I'd know a few people that have developed cancer through smoking, and all of them quit when they get their cancer diagnosis. They one bloke said I had a f- eight smokes left <laughs> or four smokes left in a packet. So coming back from the hospital, <laughs> and he goes, I smoked them all the way home, and it was the last thing because I thought I just want these four, and I'm done. But they all quit, and there's but they knew full well that at the time that smoking causes cancer and yeah. it causes a lot of other problems. But yeah. it's this ignorant blissing. It won't be me. I'm not going to be the one that gets hit by the car. Yeah. I've got plenty of time. Yes. I'm not going to be the one that catches cancer. That's everybody else. Yeah. It's like this attitude that we have around death and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I feel like I actually use <laughs> I, I, I unfairly target smokers in my book because I use it a few <laughs> times in the book to say like let's use smoking as an example <laughs> you know, and somebody that's a smoker would be thinking this fucking prick I think because it's universal everyone knows a smoker yeah and um, I think everybody knows someone that's got developed some kind of illness from it as well correct yeah so anyway um, what was the question again well <laughs> the concept that I liked about it was that um along the lines of choosing and you mentioned throughout the book riddled throughout the book about we shy away from the correct or the right path even though it's the toughest and it seems like the hardest we shy away from it because the easier path is obviously easier and more comfortable so to speak or we just stick to what we're sitting in into that comfortability zone sort of thing and you do mention it in other books like essentially through adversity the chapter of adversity and also doubt I'm pretty sure just this concept of and this is where the, the death part I feel comes in. It's like you either go that hard path and achieve what you really want to mm. experience mm. or you just continue sitting in that comfortable path and continually going through hell. The easy path will make your life hard. Yeah. The hard path will make your life easy. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. You want to choose the easy path, the lethargic path, the oh, I'll do it later path. Yeah. You are going to pay the consequences for your apathy or your laziness and you're going to – it's going to – make your life hard at the end of the day and you're going to think, fuck, it wasn't such 
I haven't chosen the easy path after all. I've chosen yeah. the fucking hard path. You, As the person that chooses the hard path, that ends up realizing that it was the easy path. Like it or makes it easier for. Well, either, yeah. What will you end up with? Yeah, is yeah. the easy path. Yeah, and I think it comes with the lines of like, you either die with regrets or die with blessings. You could say through mm. experience, through trials, and mm. just saying like, you know what? I'm glad I tried that. Gratitude, really. Mm. It's like getting up every morning and going for a run or going to a CrossFit session or doing whatever it is. It's fucking hard. I don't want to get up a bit. I'll get up and go to work. I leave. I get up at four o'clock in the morning. I don't want to fucking get up at four o'clock in the That's morning. But I go to work. Yeah. I'm grateful for having a, a good job, job yeah. a good paying job, and I'm grateful for the fact that I get to provide for my family. 100%. Yeah. I get to pay the mortgage. I pay the bills. Put food on the table. I'm able to provide a good life for the kids, yeah. for myself, for my partner. Yeah. Um, but it's fucking not easy. I could take it would be easier for me to stay in bed and be on the fucking dole. But I would have the results of that would be a fucking hard life. I wouldn't yeah. be able to provide what I provide for my family. I wouldn't be able to pay yeah. the mortgage or pay the bills and I'd be providing a shit life. Mm. It's a, so you can apply it to work, you can apply it to exercise, you can apply it to endeavors, goals, or sitting on the instead of chasing goals, sitting on the lounge and watching TV. It's easier to sit down and watch TV than get after something and suffer the setbacks. 100%. But once you fucking suffer the setbacks and you get up and go again and again in, in business or with exercise or whatever it is, you are going to get to a point where your life is good now. It's easy now and you are better off for it. So the hard path or the hard option leads to an easy life or the easy path. Yeah, so, 100%. With that, let's go to the adversity chapter because I actually want to hear you read that poem. Yeah. This is my, I think this is my favourite chapter and probably one of my favourite poems because um, everything that I've gained or the philosophies that I've come up with and the things that I write in the book is off the back of hardship and adversity. I feel like, and I say it, the, it's at the start of not the poem but this chapter says, out of all the poems I've written, I believe this one has the greatest potential to have a positive impact if the message can be understood. Mm. And I really believe that. And I think Sorry, that can you read the next sentence? The next sentence is, understanding the role adversity plays in our lives and the power in learning how to effectively use it by viewing it in another light is exponential. I think that. And it is exponential. There is, you can gain so much from, you don't have to, you can, everybody's been through something tough. You might have been bullied at school. You might have had a relationship breakdown. Adversity comes in a thousand forms. So when you talk about adversity, it's just hardships. It's going through something tough, something that doesn't make you feel good. Mm. You know, so anybody anybody can relate to adversity. Nobody's had a smooth sail through life. Even somebody that's had all the um, you know the the very best education, grow up in a wealthy family, have had every opportunity in life. They're still going to have tough times. They're still going to go through a relationship breakdown. They still, maybe they lose their money. Maybe they've had a broken leg. I don't know. But mm, whatever mm, it is, mm. that's adversity. That's hardship. And there yeah. is lessons in it. But it is how you view it, and it's a mindset, and it's what you have to view. You have to be in a positive mindset or develop a positive mindset to adver view adversity as something that you can gain from. Correct. So yeah. I might fall down the stairs, you know, today and break my leg, and I can take a negative view of it, and from a negative perspective, and be like, "I didn't fucking deserve that. Like, mm. fuck, I can't go to work now. I got, you know, like this, I didn't deserve this. Or just when I think th things were going good, and yeah. obviously you're not going to be happy about falling over and breaking your fucking leg. <laughs> no, 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 nobody is, but." I think, well, what can I gain out of this? What can I, well, I've now got 
six weeks off work i'm at home with my family i can really um have to enjoy some good family time i'm writing a second book which i touched on before which is very hard to do mm. given the, how my work hours like, like i said i get up at four o'clock in the morning i'm out of the house by five and sometimes i'm not home to seven or eight at night and then you got to take care of the kids or attend to the family like yeah so i'll try and get to the gym you know like three or four yeah. days a week which is tough my my uh, my son um he's 13 from my previous relationship i've got to i try and spend as much time with him as i can so i've got to you know i go to football you know these plays um touch you know, football training mm. where just or just spend time with him so there's lots of things that i have to do that come first and are more important than writing Correct. a fucking book you know what yeah. i mean and just like we said before we touched on you know like in um the the previous chapter about death uh, your numbers up they're the type of things you got to, that you put back because you're thinking I'm time poor. I don't have the time for it. But one day you're going to be out of time, and now that book doesn't get written. So you got to try and fucking find time. Yeah. But, so the positive that I would take out of forever and breaking my leg, but <laughs> 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 that I would have now have time for those things that I don't otherwise have time for. Yeah. Now I'm viewing a adverse set of conditions in a positive light, and I'm gaining something out of it. It's yeah. I can. I'm not going to feel good about it. And what are, something that I say in the book. Because some people find this concept very hard to wrap their head around. It's a bit of resistance to saying there yes. is good things. Yes. You can take good out of bad things happen. The event itself is not good. Correct, yes. No, one of the things I say is like getting punched in the face is not much fun. There's nothing good about getting punched in the face. You know what I mean? Like no one's going to say, they go, oh, that's great. You know, like I've really gained from that. I really just want to get punched in the face now yeah. because there's benefits from it. Yeah, that's right. But you know, like there might be something you can gain from it. Maybe you were being a... You know, your attitude wasn't good. You gave someone a bit of lip and you thought, oh, fuck, I probably treated that person pretty poorly. And yeah. you might gain some perspective from that event. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I've lost my track. Um, so anyway, yeah, one of the things that people struggle with is, or some people struggle with, is the concept mm. of, you know, like what can I gain out of, you know, crashing my car or receiving an injury mm. of mm. some kind. But there is always something that you can gain from it, but it's just – it's how you view it. It's your yes. state of mind. It's viewing it through another lens. Because when something bad happens, it's easy just to go, this is not fair. Like, I didn't deserve that. Like, yeah. one of the examples I use in that chapter is a car crash. And maybe it's a car crash that you're not at fault for. Somebody might T-bone you and it's oh, not your yeah. fault. Hello, preach it. You don't want that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, but I'm assuming you can relate to it. But um, you know, and I think it would be natural to be like, I didn't deserve that. Why me? Like, I'm a good person, you know, and that's – it's probably a natural way to look at things initially, like mm. you know, like, like you feel hard done by, but you're not mm. going to gain anything from it from that point of view. So, learning to view adversity through a you know a positive lens is a skill, and it's probably going to take work. But you can look back at past adversity because, like I said, we've all experienced it, and think, well, I might have dealt with it in a negative way in the moment or at the time or back then. But looking back on it, what can I take from it? Mm. So it's not like you have to wait for the next fucking terrible thing to happen for you to take something out of it. You've all been through something shit. Like it might be a relationship breakdown, say for mm. instance, and you might go, well, I was pretty bad in that. You know, like I was lying all the time or I was cheating or I was abusive in some way. Um, you know, I wasn't very attentive to my partner. Mm. Yeah, well, okay, I've been bad-mouthing that person, you know, saying that they'd done this and I was focusing on the things that they'd done in the relationship. But maybe if I look back at it, I can recognise, yeah, there was a few things that I wasn't doing um, that were that contributed 
you yeah. know, in a big way to that not working out. Yeah. And then when you get into your next relationship, you've considered those things. You thought, you know what, I'm going to make a genuine effort to, you know, to listen more, to be home more, not be at the pub mm. or, you know, you know, whatever, whatever the problems were. So you can look back at adversity and look at it with fresh eyes now. It might have been 10 years ago, but yeah, yeah. But you can, once you switch, make that switch, that positive mindset yeah. um, and look at it from that view, then you can get, you know what, there's, there's gold in that. And, yeah. you know, it's, oh, I feel like sometimes the bigger the issue and the harder the adversity, the more there is to gain from it. Yeah, 100%. A lesson definitely to be learned, big and small, in even in one situation. I just laughed at the T-Bone <laughs> because I was T-Boned. I had a, a Nissan 370, yeah. see? <laughs> and this young uh, red P-plater pulled out and hit my car and the car was written off and I was so devastated. But in a sense, I was appreciative that it was happening through a change in my life um, where I needed to uh, get out of the living situation that I was in. Mm. And it was God, like I say, it's a God thing because it's like God was just like, throughout every single situation, big change in my life, I don't leave situations. It's sort of like God creates situations where I am then forced to make a decision, mm. if that makes sense. So that T-bone riding off my car was the opportunity to go mm. okay i now know this is the message that i've got to make changes sort of thing if that mm. makes sense one of the things i say in this chapter is life will teach us the lessons that we need to learn yeah. when we need to learn it and it's up to <laughs> us to pay attention to it and if we don't pay attention to it, it's going to keep on punishing you exactly it's <laughs> what it is it punishes you you were being punished because you know like you needed to make a course adjustment and you weren't making it and exactly. here have a fucking pea plate a t-boner yeah. <laughs> wake up to yourself yeah. <laughs> literally <laughs> but again but it, what it did, that adversity provided you the opportunity. Yes. And you could have chose to ignore that opportunity or the signs or whatever you want to call it. You say God, somebody else might say the universe, I might say life, or whatever it is. Or karma, what, whatever, whatever it is. It. We all got different words and we all resonate with different things or belief yeah. sets or whatever, but it's all pointing towards the same thing, um, that you were sent by life or God or whatever it was, the opportunity, but you yeah. didn't have to take it. It was up to you and you did take it and then you're better for the experience. Yeah. That is a perfect example of taking adversity, yeah. a negative situation and gaining what you can and turning it on its head. Yeah, exactly. Can you read the poem for us? I can. I'm excited. <laughs> because it's a good poem. <laughs> I like this one. Oh. Um, adversity. When times are good, all seems to have fallen in place. We don't gaze inward. There is no need to assess time and space. It is easy to falsely believe that calm seas will prevail the trip. This is usually when fierce winds pick up, causing our sails to rip. Adversity we must suffer. It is through pain that we grow tough. None can avoid it, for life teaches us her lessons thus. We all must endure our own trials, battles and tribulations, emerging the other side with thicker armour and extra insulation. Adversity hardens the will the way the hammer and fire temper steel. There is no greater method to prepare for life's next ride downhill. So tackle troubles head on, embracing the process to come. This golden life opportunity, gain wisdom, grow strong, beating your battle drum. I'm actually disappointed that I didn't highlight the first verse in this one because it just it just hit me then when you were talking, when you were speaking it. Um, we, uh, well, yeah, when times are good, all seems to have fallen in place. We don't gaze inward, and that's so true. When things are going good, we don't mm. think to wait, why are things going good right now? What am I actually paying attention to or what am I doing sort of thing? Mm. <clears throat> there is no need to assess time and space and that's the, how we feel is it like that. Mm. We, we don't feel like we need to reflect or review 
No, because things are going good. good. Yeah. Why would you? You're just thinking, yeah, fuck yeah, this is how life should be, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> paying dividends, you know. <laughs> but it's not. Yeah, but and then and you use your T-bone situation again. You're just cruising along. Like maybe things weren't great in your life, but maybe you weren't aware of what, or you know, tuned into what was going on. Yeah, and it's. When something goes bad, you said your living situation wasn't good. Mm. That provided you the opportunity to think about it and think, "Fuck, I need to change this." And that's when you you gazed inward and you looked at yourself and you contemplated things that you weren't contemplating previously. Yeah, and um, it's one of the greatest values in adversity. It gives you the opportunity. And you'll hear me. You would, you've read the book. You know that I put a lot of emphasis on like it's how you view things. It's it's up to you. There's an opportunity, but it's a choice. And that's another thing I say. Like you can choose to make a course correction at any time you want. You don't have to wait for adversity, but it's usually what it takes. Mm. And that was true for me, uh, you know, with the things that I was doing, the way that I was living my life and the choices that I was making. Mm. Mm. Um, and it was through, you know, getting shot, almost dying, going back to jail, facing a lengthy prison sentence again after having just got out that I thought, I'm not doing this. And it was my opportunity um, and the choice that I had to make in that moment. Like I said, I made a choice. I'm not fucking living like this anymore. I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to sort out my problems. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to fucking do it. So in that moment, I made a choice. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be jolted awake, but that's essentially what I believe has happened. It's like a punch in the guts, like wake up to yourself. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you can avoid hardship. You can, look. You can't avoid hardship, but yeah. you can av- avoid things getting to that severe point yeah. where it's a tipping point before you have to. You can choose right now. I use things like weight loss. You know, like every, you know, I want to get fitter. I want to lose a few kilos. You can start that now. Like how many times do you people say, I'm going to start my diet on Monday or New Year's resolution. I'm going to start. Why the fuck are you waiting for New Year? It's just a day. It's a date <laughs> on a calendar that someone made up. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. All the rest of it is shit that fucking people have made up them, themselves. Someone decided, they're fucking, I'm going to make a calendar. <laughs> fucking, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whoever it was, the Mayans or whoever they are. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That's arbitrary bullshit. Like, yeah. you can do it right now. There's no reason you can't. Like, yeah. so, but you can make a choice. But maybe you don't lose those five kilos and over a year and two and five, you gain 30 and now you've got health problems. Whereas then that might be what forces you. That's your adversity. You've got problems with your knees now you've got a bad liver you've got you know whatever you've got a heart problem now and then you're forced to go well i've got to lose some weight and then you've got to start now like you could have made the choice before things got really bad 100%. a long fucking time ago don't wait till the new year don't wait till things get bad don't wait till the punch in the guts go fucking do it now 100%. and um, so that's uh, a, a message that anyone who reads it will see there's a choice and i even talk about things like being depressed because i went through depression uh, um been in jail and you know like everything that happened with harley and i dealt with it in the wrong way like i decided to take drugs so i didn't have to deal with it mm-hmm. afterwards which was a choice that i made and it was a wrong choice that I made. Mm-hmm. um but i had to make a choice at some point to cut that away and i chose i'm not going to be a miserable fucking prick anymore i'm not going to make excuses i'm not going to bury my problems under a drug habit i'm going to pull myself out of this shit and i'm going to get on with making my life you know, better and improving myself and all that type of shit. Um, which, you know, I that was the previous time before I, you know, came back in and I didn't make a very good go of it, to be fair, to be honest. Mm. Um, but it was a choice that I made at the time. I'm not going to be depressed. I'm going to, you know, like you may not feel good, but you can 
Um, it's hard with issues like this because somebody's going through something like depression. It's very hard for them to hear, like, that's a choice you're making. They're like, no, it's fucking not. I wake up every morning feeling like shit. I'm not choosing to feel like yeah. this. So some of the things that I talk about, and I say at the start of this book that one of the points that I really wanted to emphasize is I don't have a tertiary qualification. So somebody might greatly disagree with what I'm saying. These are my opinions, but it's shit that I've learned for myself and I've been through, so I'm talk from experience. But you can make a choice to – I'm. I'm going to be a miserable sack of shit today. I'm going to get up. I might not feel great, but I'm going to go do something positive. I'm going to get up. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to go fucking reach out to a psychologist. I'm going to do something about this. That's a choice that you can make. So you might make that choice and be on the way and on the path to getting out of the depression or however you're feeling. doesn't mean you're going to feel good in the moment. Mm -hmm. You might still feel like shit for quite some fucking time, but you make the fucking choice whether you're going to stay in it or not. So I know that um, there's – well, people will disagree with what I have to say, and that's fair enough. Everyone's got an opinion. There might be people that are much better qualified than me that will disagree <laughs> with what I say, but I stand by what I say because yeah. I know it to be true for myself. It works for me, and I know that it will work for other people. But um, you know, maybe it doesn't work for everybody, but you can make a choice. And it doesn't have to be something with depression. It could be the way you're living your life. You're using drugs. You're in a bad relationship. Whatever the choice, you've got a choice every moment of every day to change something for the better. Anybody can do it. Yeah. Right, so we're going to go through one last poem. Yep. Um, I think the one that I wanted to... I think prison politics I actually like mm. highlighted a lot because mm. I was oblivious to mm. everything. And um, But I won't, we won't do that one because... Okay. What's this one that I've got? Nope, nope. That's one of those things that is like an aspect of prison like you earlier you touched on like you know coming in and like it was a bit of an insight like yeah something like prison politics is one of those things that people will read and be like i had no idea about this you know yeah. what I mean? and um like i said like i don't want to the book to be about just jail or crime because that's not what the book's about but i think it's something that people find interesting to know you know like i wanted there to also be that aspect of people be like oh i didn't know that you know that's very interesting i wouldn't have thought that went on you know what i mean yeah so <laughs> One thing I actually, I can't say the word recidivism. Recidivism, yep. Recidivism. That's it. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you're passionate about this. This oh, is yeah. one thing that I find that, <laughs> that you, even on the last podcast that oh. I listened to with Russell, um, you were saying like there is no proper, in a sense, rehabilitation no. programs or process <laughs> going on. First, I get you to read the poem. Uh, on which subject, sorry? <laughs> I just wanted to make you say it. <laughs> um, and then yep. we'll, we'll go from there. Recidivism. The same faces again. I've seen you here many times before. What happened this time? The same old problems landing me in prison once more. For some familiar faces, prison is just a second home. It's just a part of life. In and out is all they've ever known. Although I too have reoffended, I can't understand this state of mind. I could never accept this horrible place of any, as any home of mine. I really, it really makes me wonder what kind of life they have outside. How shit things must be to be comfortable with constantly coming back inside. It's easy to take the view to make prisoners' life hard while in jail. Punish, 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 but in solving crime, it's to no avail. There is no rehabilitation to be found inside of jail walls. So when someone reoffends, their next victim might just be you or yours. The system is a failure. Have you noticed any fall in crime? Hundreds of years punishing. Still the same people return time after time. 
It's time for something new. Let's think outside the box. Let's get crazy and actually try to solve this problem because everyone running the system is too fucking lazy. I stumbled through that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, actually, I was actually laughing to myself because uh, the way you spelt jail. Yeah, that's actually the correct Australian spelling of jail. Apparently, I found <coughs> that after. <laughs> yeah. so Everyone's like, in goal? <laughs> Inside of goal walls? The A and the O switched. <laughs> I, was, I read this book halfway through before someone actually pointed out to me um, <coughs> that it was supposed to be pronounced jail. So, I'm reading it as... <clears throat> To make prisoners' life hard while in Gaul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know what? Um, the the um, chapter Jail Fit, I spell yes. it J-A-I-L. Yes. yes, And I would hope that that would have pointed towards it. You know, people are like, oh, jail, but I'll probably confuse the situation. Um, but it is it is the correct – I did contemplate making it Jail, the American version, but um, it's not. It's, that is the correct spelling of it. So, people might think, this guy's semi-illiterate, can't even talk. Well, that's the, I was so confused. Only guy, I've only known jail to be spelled J-I-J-A-I-L, not G-A. And then it was really funny because one of my other friends was reading a book as well on, on Ivan Milat. Mm. And it had also G-A-O-L. Mm. And we're just like, we just thought, oh, maybe it's just another term for jail. So, maybe mm. it is Gaul. I'm like, Gaul, yeah. And then we... Then Google it and, you know, it's the pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh, I feel like a total idiot. Well, <laughs> maybe maybe I should have used the American way of doing no. it. Just to not Because I don't want to complicate things. I don't want to detract from it. But look, it's... No, this is just my dumbassery. The people that are going to read this are probably <laughs> going to be like, oh, yeah, I, they probably... They're probably educated people in this in this topic and know that it's going to be pronounced well look, maybe somebody who listens to your podcast has just learned something yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, i've been educated today <laughs> anyway but yeah i just i just i just laughed every time i was like coming every time i see that um well now you know yeah exactly now i know you're welcome thank you <laughs> being educated um through the book so yeah this like i said this this is a topic that you are strongly about and as you say at the, at the at the end of this book, like, let's think outside the box. Let's get crazy. Because you say in the book as well, like, you know, corrective, what is it? Corrective, corrective services. And it's not. No, well, it's so How named you- corrective services because it's supposed to correct behavior yeah. and it doesn't. It makes people worse. Like, I'm sure anybody, like people like yourself would have heard people say or would be aware that people go into jail and get out worse. Like, I'm sure that you've heard people say that. Like, yeah. And that's true. That is true. Um, so... <clears throat> My view on this is that regardless of what people think should happen or how the because so there is people um, that just feel like yeah you you've um, committed your crime you deserve to be punished it should be fucking hard um, and it is hard um, but you're missing a very important piece of that puzzle and there is of course there is value in being punished for your crime there has to be a deterrent and there has to be a reason to make people stop offending and to send the message to the next person who might be considering committing offence to go, oh, fuck, I don't want to go to jail. It's pretty tough. So, of course, there's value in that. I'm not arguing the point of there being value in that, but a lot of people that end up in prison, (coughs) a lot of people that end up in prison, not everyone's a fucking career criminal. Not everyone's a terrible person. Not everyone's a murderer or a rapist. Apart from rapists, which I fucking despise, anyone, sex offenders, they're scum of the earth and do not, there is no rehabilitation for those people. You cannot rehabilitate a fucking pedophile. Um, you might, 
or maybe there's an argument to be made that you could rehabilitate somebody who rapes a woman or something like that, but I think it's a fucking heinous crime. But somebody who's sexually attracted to children, mm. you cannot fix that person. Mm. So that asylum, that there is no rehabilitation for them. That should be a crime that is solely and wholly looked at as punishment as being the only factor that needs to be considered <clears throat> because you are never going to stop them being attracted to children. Mm. Mm. So, but that aside... <clears throat> Not everybody is that goes to prison are terrible people. A lot of people are traumatised people. A lot of people are people with underlying issues. Correct. And that's what should be at Address. the core of the corrective system. What are the issues that are causing your offending? <clears throat> I'm not trying to – I've never tried to garner any sort of sympathy for myself or other people who commit crime. <clears throat> I don't think <clears throat> that would not be received well and that's not my point of view anyway. Mm. But my point of view is that if somebody's, to say somebody's robbed a convenience store, say for instance, they robbed a service station, right? So robbery, arm robbery is a serious offence and you're probably going to get somewhere between three and eight years, say for instance, for your crime. There's, it's, a, it's a long time to serve in prison. Yeah. It is a serious offence. Yeah. But why did that person rob the liquor store or the convenience store? Well, yeah. What was their motivating factor behind it? And I would say that in a lot of circumstances, because it's probably trying to support a drug habit. Why is a person using drugs in the first place? Mm. Some people start off using recreational drugs and just develop a drug habit and they go down a bad path, but a lot of people that use drugs regularly are running away from something and trying to mask, yep. trying to self-medicate. That is very, very common. Yeah. <clears throat> so if that is the case, then that person goes to prison for the armed robbery. There is no avenue or no effort made and there's no system in place um, to address that person's uh, criminal offending or the core issues at the at the um, at the center of their criminal offending, you could prevent that person from going to, when they get out from committing the same offense or a more serious offense. Because anybody that studies any type of criminology will know that most criminal offending follows an escalating pattern. So somebody that goes to prison um, and they get stuck in that cycle of recidivism of repeat offending are likely to either commit the same offences or more serious offences down the down the mm. track. So if you don't address that issue, that's going to cause a lot more problems to the community if you only look at it from a community perspective and not the person perspective. Because like I said, a lot of people will say the criminal does not deserve a fucking second chance. That's somebody's view and they're entitled to it. But <clears throat> it's, a ver- it's a very narrow view. But you understand people being, well, fuck them. Look what they do. Look at the problems that they cause in the community. People are scared in their homes and all that type of stuff. So I understand it. But it's, it is the fact is that it is a narrow view because that person will then get out and continue offending and it's likely that it will follow an escalating pattern and then there's going to be more destruction and more suffering and bigger consequences down the line. So if somebody comes to jail, why not use the system or the system be structured in a way that it is corrective? that it's serving a fucking purpose. It's serving the community by solving that person's problems. It's going to have the fl- – by helping that person, you're going to help – the flow-on effect will be to help the community. By benefiting that person as a flow-on effect, you're benefiting the community. So – and the reason that that doesn't occur is – boils down to is that the prison systems are a business and they make money and nobody wants to um, – Address those issues because you would be affecting the bottom line. So when your home gets broken into, because I think that when I write the um, in the poem um, recidivism, I say um, the next um, where, where's the chat? It said the the next their next victim might just be you or yours, um, and that's true. Like it might if that person that robbed that convenience or maybe 
or, or they break into you a home, maybe you're the person that works in that store or you're yeah. the person that works in that bank yeah. or it's your home that gets broken into because they're trying to get your car keys and your jewellery. Yeah. So if your view is fuck them, put them in prison, don't give them the time in there is too easy. Like you are fucking traumatising a person because it is like I've spent months on ending segregation and it fucking sends you mad. That did not help me at all. So people do get worse in jail. Jail is violent. Jail, is there's a lot of drugs in jail. I developed a drug habit in jail because drugs were readily available to me in jail. So uh, to add to that, the stress of the process itself, like <clears throat> just because you are responsible for your crime and you you know, you know put yourself in that position, it doesn't make it a, it's a, it's a stressful process to go through, being arrested, losing all your shit. Some people lose their homes, your family, your, your missus leaves you, you don't see the kids anymore. It's a hard time in your life. Um, add to that, you know, a violent culture in jail, a drug culture in jail. Um, yeah, and that can go on for years. Some people's sentences, like I served seven and a half years jail. It's a long time. So <clears throat> people are exposed to a really toxic, bad environment where there's no help for a period of time and people get out worse. And that's the recidivism problem. So, and when I was speaking to Russell on the podcast, the most recent podcast that I've done on the Stick Up podcast, he said that he is in touch with senior um, corrective officials and um, they say that the money's there. The funding is there. One of the things that I say in that recidivism um, chapter is to say that anybody who proposes these changes um, and puts forward the amount of money um, that it's going to cost to solve the problem are going to be unpopular. No politician wants to get up and say, listen, we need to solve this problem. It's going to cost X amount of dollars. Um which is, you know, more than we're currently investing. And people are going to say, well, wait a minute, hundreds of millions of dollars or however much it might be for fucking criminals. No fucking way. We've got hospitals that need, you know, fucking that need improvement. We've got roads that need, our schools are shit. What about air conditioners for the kids? And that's fair enough. Those things do need to be addressed. Of course they do. But it's the reason why no politician, you've ever heard a politician get up in, uh, in parliament and say, I would propose that we spend $200 million on fucking uh, re- resolving the recidivism issue. That'd be fucking, that'd be abused, that'd be laughed at, but it's not going to be popular. But I didn't know, but the money apparently is there and they don't want to spend it. That's the thing. Uh, that, I thought that blew my mind. I was under the assumption, and like uh, I think we were speaking to, speaking about off air, um, you know, I said that um, <clears throat> that it's an unpopular issue. Like it, it's, it's an unpopular topic and nobody gives a fuck about the criminal. Like that's not a popular thing, but. Um, so, yeah, and when I was in jail, there was no research. Like, I couldn't jump on a computer and research how much money you spent or, you know, like, what is the policy on this and that? Like, it's just my view. So, yeah. my, my view was that the money's not there and it needs to be there, but apparently the money is there for it, but they don't want to. So, the next question is, why the fuck don't you want to? Well, let's, I would love to sit down with um, the Minister for Corrections. I'd love to sit down with um, senior... Um, senior corrections officials and say okay apparently the money is there and if it is why aren't you using it why don't you want to fucking solve this problem why don't you want to pay for psychologists in prison to address the core reasons that people offend like the core issues like when somebody comes to the prison like that's a fucking wake-up call for a lot of people it's a fucking tough process to go through people are scared worried stressed they're fucking like i just mentioned people lose all their shit like they're at a vulnerable point and just like I got to, plenty of people would, um, plenty of people would um, think, no, nah, I want to change my life. I can't do this. Where's the help? I want to, I'm going to speak to somebody. And you get told, no, there's nobody for you to speak to. But I want to make positive changes. Mm. Well, fucking make them. 
I don't know how to. If I can figure it out. That's the general attitude. Like, what if somebody that's in that position that you're in, I think that the way that corrective should look at it is that you've got somebody that's in that position. What better place to have a person who's committed an offence, maybe they've committed multiple offences, and they come to you as a correction staff and say, I want to fucking change. And they go, well, what they should have is go, well, we've got a few options for you. There's a system in place mm. um, for you. Um, you know, you know, we've got psychologists you can speak to. It's probably a good start. There's some, um, you know, if you're in for, um, you know, holding up that store mm. and um, you know, it was drug related, you were doing it for drug, maybe you want to um, enroll in one of our drug and alcohol courses, which are available. There's one starting next Tuesday. Would you like to participate in that? Yep, yeah, great. I can solve my drug problem. I can speak to a psychologist. <clears throat> but it takes funding which apparently is there, like I said, but they don't want to use it. So why don't they want to, want to use it? Because they all make money. If you, if you um, stopped um, recidivists, say you, you solve that problem to a level where you are reducing the numbers of people that come back to jail by, say, just 10 or 15%. That's the prison population in New South Wales usually sits around 12,000. So if you got what fucking – my maths is on fucking show <laughs> <laughs> so if you got about say what fucking 1200 or fucking 2000 or 1800 people now that are not coming back that's less jobs that are available for prison staff that's yeah, less yeah. jobs that are available like that's a big number of like a the that are people that are not coming back now and most of the people that go to prison do come back but that's because of the recidivism issue not being solved obviously so with the, the figures at the time of writing the book, I honestly don't know what they are now, but you would assume that they would be pretty close. They always sit around the same. Is 50, I think it was 57% mm. of people come back to prison within two years or yeah, some quarter yeah. of corrective yeah. service. Um, because there's, there's, um, you know, like good behavior bonds are done. They call it something else now. It's called like a C, CCO, a community corrections orders and stuff like that. It's the same thing. People, you know, they might reoffend, but it might be at the minor end of offending. So they come into corrections yeah. contact again, but it's through one of those avenues. So that's a big number of people. Almost six out of 10 people come back within just two years. Some people do all right for four years and they come back. So that's six, no, that close to six out of 10 figures just within two years. Yeah. So, so the reason that they don't spend that money is because they don't want to lose their jobs. They don't want to they don't want to help people. They want people to stay the way they are. They know that the prison system produces and um you know worse criminals than what they come in. Some people go in for minor shit. Guy guys get in there that um, they have a pub fight. They're 18 years old. They've had a gut full of piss. They get in a fight, they break someone's jaw. That's that's a serious offense. Because if you break somebody's jaw, that's grievous bodily harm. You've broken a bone. You can get 5 years for that. Wow. Somebody who's not a criminal, that is somebody somebody's view might be no they broke someone's jaw they are a criminal but they're not a fucking criminal they're just a fucking young bloke on the piss that's fucking got into a fight that happens all the fucking time you know so that guy now goes into jail and his life's fucking you know in turmoil and there's guys there who are fucking in gangs in bike clubs mm. that fucking import drugs that are fucking you know career criminals that will take that guy under their wing and now that guy becomes a fucking criminal or he starts using drugs that guy the 18 year old that's had the pub fight Gets out at age twenty three. A fucking he's got a he's had his he's got a PhD in crime now. He's got he's been influenced by the right, you, by the wrong crowd. Mm. Somebody who's eighteen year old. You might be an adult at eighteen years old, but you're fucking still a young young person who is influential. And um, that happens a lot. People go in and they get fucking worse. You'll turn someone who's a normal person into a fucking criminal, and then the recidivism cycle starts for that person. That person's going to be back. They're in a gang now. They're in a bike club. They're fucking. They've got connections with you know drug importations and stuff like that. You know what yeah, I mean? So yeah. you've turned someone who's a normal person into a fucking serious criminal. That's what the system produces. How does 
um, this is the one thing that baffles me is like how do the drugs get into jail <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing well, if I go into too much detail people will be like very upset you fucking just giving our secrets away <laughs> look there's drugs coming the prison officers are very aware how of drugs come into jail and often it is prison officers who bring the drugs in uh, okay like if going, you google uh, how many prison officers have been arrested well I was at MRRC and um, but what did they get out of it money so if you're a prison officer I could approach you and just say look I want you to do something for us and there's five grand in it for you because drugs are fucking expensive in jail sorry sorry <clears throat> the prisoner officer will go up to a criminal no well I can I can or is it the other way no well it'd usually be the inmate okay we'll who would have approached the guard but you know you can it's a risky move because they can turn around and go fuck mate you're going straight to Segre you want to bring drugs into the jail and so usually there's like a process of sort of grooming by the inmate okay but you get to you spend a lot of time with prison officers, so you get to know who's who. Mm. You get to you can you know it makes them click to a degree. Yeah, and look, some they what do they earn a week? They might earn fucking after tax. They might earn fifteen hundred bucks a week, twelve hundred bucks a week. I don't know. It'd be something like that. Mm. And you say, oh, I'll give you five grand if you bring this in. And to some of them, that's a fucking oh, fuck yeah, five grand cash. Yeah, just give us a bank account. I'll be in there tomorrow. That's insane. So then you just say, you know, like all right, I'll, I'll have someone drop X Y off. To wherever you want, it could be at your house or at the shops or whatever, and then you just bring it in and they bring it in. But that's one avenue. There's lots of avenues, lots of ways things come in. Wow. But just know that their drugs are v- very red- readily available in that's jail. That's insane. Yeah, like I said, the corrective uh, services officers <laughs> <laughs> or screws, as I like to call them. We call them screws. I don't like being called screws, but you're the fucking screws. <laughs> uh, um, they don't care, like. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck yeah. about whether you, they want you to come back to jail. But they're not anybody. Doesn't matter. There's corrupt cops out there. There's fucking corrupt politicians out there. There's corrupt yeah. prison officers. There is good and bad in everything. I'm not against fucking anybody. I'm not against police. I'm not against fucking prison officers or whatever. I don't fucking. I've had bad experiences with prison officers. Of course, it's heaps of some of them fucking treat you like absolute fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but none of it goes towards helping you. You know what I mean? So. Um, but anyway, that's one of the way they come in. But they genuinely don't give a fuck about you. Um, and if they can make a few extra dollars in that sense, they do. So that's how they get in there. And that's what a contributing factor to what makes people worse. People just can. Some people develop drug habits in jail that never had a drug habit before. Because like I said, it's a stressful process. It's a fucking hard time in your life. And some people don't deal with it. And I was one of them. I had she, well, one, once Harley died and I came in, I was depressed. I was traumatized. Um, and I didn't want to deal with it. So I started using drugs. Not that yeah. I'd never used drugs. I'd fucking partied and got on the coke and I had used Xanax before, but I hadn't, I'd never like been addicted to drugs. You know, and, well, I didn't, yeah, well, I was never a drug addict. Yeah. Um, when I was that year in jail that I was using drugs, I was a fucking drug addict because I used drugs every single fucking day and I was using drugs to self medicate and because I was trying to, I was, I was, like I said, I was fucking traumatized. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't help anybody, you know, they're, they're taking drugs in there, but. Also, what doesn't help is being treated like shit and what also doesn't help is there being no system to um, to catch you in the fall because you are falling. You're falling into the abyss. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And when you're in that state, like if you're seeking help and there is none, that can be fucking – that can make you even worse again. You're like, I want help, but there's none. So you just get fucking – you just f- fall further down the rabbit hole. Yeah, it's insane. So that's why I, I, I wanted – recidivism, like you said, is one of those issues that I've got strong – views on and obviously not everyone's going to agree with me on them but i know that 
by addressing that problem, you're going to solve a lot more problems down the track. Yeah. It is worth doing. It is worth looking into. And it's something that I want to, <clears throat> I'd like to advocate for. And if I could call, if I can make some noise and if I can um, influence people or even just change people's mind. Because like I said, some people will say, fuck them, they're criminals. They don't deserve a second chance. They should not, they should be punished in there. But if I can lay out a reasonable argument that makes sense to people and can sway opinion, then maybe things can change. And that would be, I know that that's going to be of greater benefit to everybody. It's going to be the individual and the community and everyone. 100%. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I probably spoke for way too long in that. You're thinking, when's this guy going to shut the fuck up? No, I was just like going, oh, no, he's on a roll. Like, yeah, he's, I'm on a this, rant. This is where his passion is. Like, and that's, that's I'm just I, getting started. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I appreciate is just like that you, you have now this, per- and it, like, it, talking about purpose. Whoops. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that didn't destroy it. The quote you actually put on, you can read it on this on this chapter. Yeah, the purpose of life is a life of purpose by Robert Byrne. Um, well, I was talking to you before, and I said I love quotes, and I feel like quotes really have there's like these little packets of knowledge and wisdom, and sometimes they it can be the quote that really resonates with people, and that's why I put a quote at the end of every chapter, because I might say something in a chapter that means nothing to somebody, but maybe it's the quote that grabs them and grabs their attention. Um, when I sign the books, I always write a personal message to someone, and I usually yeah. write a quote, and I use that one quite a lot. Because I really believe that having purpose in your life, regardless of what that purpose is, it it sets you on a path. And like I was living a certain way for a long time and I had no purpose and I didn't know it at the time, but I was looking for purpose. So there was nothing, it didn't feel like I'm contributing. I'm not living the way I should. There's something missing. I'm not happy. And what is it? I have no fucking purpose. You know what I mean? And so now I feel like I have a purpose with this shit. And you just said before that, you know, I am passionate about it and I speak with enthusiasm and sometimes I really talk people's ears <laughs> off. And they're just like, wow, I take a breath, champion. But I feel I've got that, that's my purpose and I feel good about it. And I will, like I said, I want to go into the kids' jails. I want to go talk to people. I want to be of benefit to people. And that is my purpose. Um, I love that quote. That's a great fucking quote. Because um, having no purpose in your life, I've been there and I know where that leads and well, where it led for me anyway. And I think that's. That is a, um, a common thread for a lot of people that are not feeling great within themselves or feeling like um, they're lost and choose a bad path or they're depressed or they're just not whatever it may be that I think lacking purpose in your life can um, cause a lot of issues. Bino, yeah, thank you for uh, being passionate about this. You're welcome. Because, <laughs> because people like me, like we have an audience that we can reach, mm. our own audience in mm. a sense. But you now have the one expertise and the purpose, the message, um, and the drive to reach that audience that's in similar situations, like you said, going out to uh, younger criminal mm. or the juvies or- mm. Wherever again, I don't even know these terminologies. Juven, yeah, juvies, juvenile justice. Yeah. yeah, you can go out and catch them young and have an actual impact on them mm. because they're like, actually, I relate to this guy. They can never relate to me. Mm. Being brought up in a in a Christian household, never done in a sense excessive crime mm. to be put into a juvie or jail. You have this, in a sense, ability, power, ability, superpower to actually affect them and go. Listen, guys, you can 
from today, you can choose which direction oh. your life can go sort of thing. And that's the what I'm appreciative mm. and grateful for that you're you've chosen you've chosen that in a sense king path is that i always mm. preach you've chosen that path that is you're no longer living for yourself you're living for like you said for harley and you're living for now the future generations that mm. are going and that are currently in the system now mm. with that yeah well um, i think that whether it's kids in jail whether it's any situation like what you do we've talked to me bro say for instance mm. You have to be able to relate to people. Like you can say whatever you like, but if people, you got to connect with people. They have to relate to you what you're saying. And I think in that scenario, we say kids in jail or take jail out of this situation. That's why I love adverse. That poem we went over adversity. Obviously, I've been through hardship, and anybody can relate to going through hardship. My hardship might be different to your hardship, mm. but it's still fucking adversity. It's still hard. It's still a tough time in your life. So I think that is a great connecting point. That's that's like you know I can connect with them and they can resonate with it because everybody's yeah. been through fucking something. Yeah. But in this specific circumstance of talking about kids in jail and my path, they can relate to me because I can say I was you. I'm not telling you something that I've learnt in a book. You know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not somebody who's heard a story secondhand. I was you, and um, you know so. That's the path that I took, and the choices that you have at your, you know, you, the choices that you have now, and the options you have at your disposal are the same ones that I had, but I didn't choose them. I turned left every time I should have fucking turned right. <laughs> every time I had an opportunity to make the right choice, I made the wrong choice. Yeah. But and look where it led. Yeah. It was a clear path that I was setting out for myself. I didn't know it at the time, but it was leading to one fucking place. Yeah. That's where you are, but you are twenty years back down the path. And there's plenty of opportunity you're going to have to make the choice, but if you're going to make it, why not make it now? And you should make it now because in the kids' jails, people, like I just said a minute ago, that the screws don't give a fuck about you. But in the juvies, people do care because you're a kid. There are people that want to help you. There is a whole support network in the kids' jails that is not in the yeah, adult system. Wow. Um, and there's a lot of funding towards the kids. There actually is a genuine effort. But – you're dealing with people who are essentially immature, you know, like so that are not so receptive to the message. So you have to find ways to cut through to them. And you, you, like, you have to, the way, one of the ways that I think is an effective way to cut through to them is to, for them to recognize themselves in you. I was you. I've been, I've walked the hard paths. I've been in your shoes. I've worn those shoes and I've fucking worn them out. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so I've, I've been through the shit that you've been through. I was a young guy. I got harassed by police. I come from, a, you know, like my parents separated. I didn't have a bad childhood, but, you know, like I come from a broken home. I grew up out Western Sydney. It was very fucking rough. You know, it was violent. We didn't – I felt like I didn't have the same opportunities that other people do, which is not the case because some extremely successful people come out of Western Sydney. But that's how you feel at the time and that's how they feel. So I can resonate with them, you know yeah. what I mean? So I think that I'm in a unique position to do that. Going back to the uh, depression part, I was supposed to ask you this earlier, but did you ever get to the state of – suicidal thoughts or ideation in a sense no i didn't i've never com contemplated suicide but i remember thinking to myself i would love it right now if somebody walked into this cell and put a bullet in my head yeah okay. like you know so i've got a son i've got a family that you know like need me and rely on me even though that i'm in a position in not in a position in jail to be of any fucking benefit to them but look i know that that's a very controversial issue, suicide. It's a touchy issue, but 
my view of it is, and I'll always give you an honest view, my opinion on it is that you can't do it. There is always someone that's going to suffer from your choice. You are, I heard it, um, it was a Jimmy Carr the other day on the, um, it was a Joe Rogan podcast. Okay. And it was a great view of it. And he said, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary, um, temporary issue. And you're making the final decision on something that's going to leave your family, your friends, your kids, your loved ones with a lifetime of grief. And they're going to, you are causing immense suffering. So my view on that, on didn't, I didn't get to the stage where I'd never contemplated suicide, but I, I have experienced that feeling of I'd love to fucking die right now. Yeah, hopelessness concept. Yeah, so I guess it's in the same sort of wheelhouse, in the same sort of realm, but it's not the same thing. Mm. But my view was I do not have the fucking – I do not have that luxury. I do not have the right to do that. I cannot leave my son in a position thinking dad didn't think that I was worth sticking around for. Mm. So that was my view. My my mum, my dad, my friends, they're all going to feel like – they're going to feel hard. They're going to go through their own grief. And like we said earlier, part of grief is you're looking for someone to attribute – I can blame to and most of the time that's themselves mm. they're going to feel guilt even though this survivor's fucking guilt or whatever you want to call it I don't know the correct terminology for it mm. but it's a part of um, grief is that person will feel guilt they're going to feel responsible for it in some way my son would feel like was I not good enough of a son for my dad mm. my mum would think was I you know could I have been a better mother and they're going to struggle with that forever you're not around to say no that's not the case mm. so suicide was never an option and it was never on my mind but I understand being low I understand being at, I call it rock bottom and I just something I say a fair few times throughout the and it was fucking rock bottom I felt like the biggest piece of shit in the world I fucking hated myself for putting my family through that again and again and again mm. I was there was self-loathing that I experienced um, so I can I can resonate I guess in some way with how somebody might feel that is suicidal and um I wouldn't say, like I said, it's the same thing, but I can, I can understand it. But you, no matter who you are, you don't have. I would say you don't have the fucking right because you are going to cause immense suffering to other people for what is a temporary fucking problem in your life. Mm. Even if that temporary problem is something like past trauma, that's you can't undo the past. So that situation that you're feeling traumatized about depressed about suicidal over is not going to go away but you can learn to effectively deal with things better i have suffered post-traumatic stress i watched my mate burnt to fucking death for fuck's sake i was seriously burnt fucking trying to save him life it was a very traumatic experience that is never going to leave my mind but i have learned to effectively deal with that and now that i can talk about it in a way that i don't break down i don't fucking regress into some fucking past experience you know like replayed in my fucking head so i can say that i have developed the tools and so can anybody else to deal with whatever past trauma that you have whatever you're experiencing what you're experiencing is temporary the issue that you're experiencing those problems over may be permanent you can't fucking change it but the the issue uh, the the way that you feel about it is a temporary feeling and suicide is a permanent fucking I don't want to say solution but yeah, you know, yeah. because it's not a solution. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a solution to the problem. You're causing it, that problem. You're just putting your problem and pain onto somebody else. But it is um, – it's a perm- – it's the end game. It's, it's done. A, it's, it's finished. It's a permanent decision, yeah. I would say. Because, yeah, I heard somebody say the saying uh, earlier this week mm. as well and, and quoted that exact mm. same 
And I'm going, it's not a solution though because it just creates so much more problems or mm. grief mm. that those people then now have like the, the questions you ask mm. and it's just like then they're going to have that that trauma attached to their to their questioning of their existence as well. You're and was ending, I part of that problem? Yeah, that's right. And you're ending your pain by causing a whole lot of fucking pain to somebody else, to yeah. many other people. You are amplifying that pain that you're feeling by a f- tenfold to other people. Yeah. And they're going to suffer that forever. <clears throat> and then who knows what path that may lead them down. Now they're from their pain and their adversity, they might start now fucking going down a bad path and who knows where that ends for them? Yeah. It could be in drug use. It could be contemplating suicide themselves. Yeah. So, um, like I said at the start, it's a it's a tough subject and it's a controversial subject, but you have to speak to the core and the truth of any fucking issue. That's the only way that you can solve any fucking problem or anything that's going on in your life is to be open and honest about it. And that is that is this is the truth. It's fucking you are being selfish and you're causing a lot of pain. You might be ending yours, but you are causing a lot of pain to a lot of other people. We like to say, um, like we talked to River, that it's not actually a concept of selfishness because they're probably acting in a space of, because they're obviously not in the right frame. That's right. That is true. Yep. And they're probably thinking, you know what, this is the best thing for my family and friends is that I'm a burden to them. Yes. It's probably going to relieve them from me being, you know, pain. So we like to go along the terms of, um, you know, you're not in your right frame of mind and there's Mm. no shame about you having suicidal thoughts or, and there's no guilt in a sense. I mean, in a sense, if we're going to Brene Brown and we're talking about emotions, we want people to feel the sense of guilt because there is a, pro- a progressive and productive way of thinking from a sense of guilt because it's saying I've done something wrong, but I'm not something wrong. Mm. I'm not. I'm not wrong in a sense. Whereas shame is in the is in the concept of I am worthless. I am useless. Mm. I am wrong. I am the bad person. When it's just like no, no. <clears throat> we want to. When people are in that state of mind, it's like they are completely not in uh what's the word right word reality mm. they're they're completely they will be convinced that they are like you said a burden to their family and their yeah. family would be but i have heard many yeah. people that have been suicidal because one of the um one of the my pro one of the things that i went through my process of my own self-development was talking to a lot of other people and listening to their stories and their own experiences mm. and obviously in prison people go through or you know like suicidal thoughts so i've spoken to people that have been there and that's something that, that they have said themselves that um there and i want to be clear i'm not shaming anybody for being mm. in that headspace mm. there's definitely i would never shame anybody for being because it is a mental health issue and it is a fucking health problem and you would never fucking criticize anybody or fucking run them down or try and shame them in some way for what is essentially a fucking health problem mm. Mm. um and that's what yeah so i do i've heard that myself from a few people to say that in that state of mind you know that is the way that you feel in that you probably they probably felt like that they were doing everybody else a favor but you have to understand that being in that that is a you are not doing anybody a favor you yeah, have exactly. to be able to separate the way that you're feeling to rational reality thinking. yeah that's right and that is what is missing in that situation that fucking rational thought process is gone it's not there so i think it's good for us and anybody um, with any sort of platform to talk about a type of stuff because maybe when they're not in that rational thought process having heard something like this it might just be the thing that they go wait a minute you know like am I thinking clearly yeah am I I remember on that podcast uh, I remember yeah I remember them saying you know like you know that's that is how I feel I feel like I'm a burden but they were discussing that and that's that's not the case they were saying maybe that's the that's when they were 
maybe a bad analogy that brings them back from the edge, you know, that like brings them back, you know, then to stop some fucking jumping and yeah, you know, whatever yeah, it is, you yeah, know what I mean? So, making that fatal decision. Mm, yep. Um, I remember actually recently this week, one second. I actually heard, like, it was really funny because we were out at um, Jindabyne um, doing Talk To Me Bro stuff and a year seven comes up to me and one other, um, some other other people and says, oh, I've got a question for you. Um, would you would you take $10 million if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow? Sort of, in a sense, if you take the million dollar, $10 million, the consequence or the the catch is you are going to die tomorrow or would you rather not take the $10 million and not die the next day? I'm going, well, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the $10 million. She's like, that's right because life is worth more than $10 million. But then I overheard someone else say, because she hadn't fully elaborated the the, the situation, uh, she just said, oh, would you take $10 million right now? And the person would say yes, and then that she's like, "But there's a catch; you will die tomorrow," sort of thing. And he's like, "You know, I'd still take the ten million dollars, so I could set my family up, mm. and um, and that way I know that, like, if, if, I, if you told me at four p.m. in the afternoon, I have ten million dollars, and I know I'm going to die tomorrow, so I'll I will easily uh, find a way to make it beneficial for my family. Mm. But I'm there going, but that's still leaving. Like, sure, your your family might be set up." Well, but another way of putting that question is: Would your family take the ten million dollars or your life? Yeah, and they're not going to. And I doubt that anyone's family are going to say, "We want the 10. Exactly. <laughs> no one's going to say that. They're not going to consider that. And 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 it's, and it's it kind of in a in a in a sense, you're not thinking of how they would feel. Mm. I think they would prefer you to still be alive and them being blessed by you helping and supporting them, than have ten million dollars and not share it with you or not. And know that this ten million, billion, whatever it is, dollars, is because my son or my my brother or my partner, whatever, sacrificed their life, mm. and I can't enjoy this. I can't. I, I can't feel good about this. I would argue that they would pay ten million to have you around. Exactly. Yeah. Like it. it so I, I was really along the lines of of you know suicidal thoughts or having this concept of. I would rather not be here because I would rather set them up or not be a burden. They would be better. Mm. It's like no, I don't think we like like we said they're not in their rational mind to realize it's not bene- it's it, life is so much more precious than more valuable. Yeah, than than the problem that you have. Like it's it's a lot more important to be alive than thinking that the problem is you sort of thing, and that that if you take away the problem, you. That they're going to be so much more better off when they're not. I'm sure you would have heard. I don't know if you call it an analogy, or if you look at the probability of you even being alive. Yeah. What is the what are the odds? Is yeah, like one odds? to one million or something. More. Like if you talk about. You got to get down depends to the, the nasty count, aspect. Right? It depends on your sperm count. Maybe you were one of three. His <laughs> <laughs> dad was just not living a healthy life. He was fucking. You know what I mean? So you made it. You were one of three. But the statistics would say that you're like a one in twenty million dollars. Um, twenty million dollars. <laughs> You've got that ten million on my mind. Hey, you're a one in twenty million chance. But that's only for one load. <laughs> you know how many times? So yeah, of, okay. You know what I mean? Like how? How you, many loads? Well, what if your dad? What if your dad had three years. wanks a day the week yeah, before? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. From the teenage years that you count all the times. Mm. 
So what would the what is the real chance of you even being alive? Like, yeah. you think there's fucking twenty million or fifty million sperm or hundred million sperm or however much it is per load, and how yeah. many loads over a lifetime? Yeah. And you were the one. You were in the right load, yeah. and you <laughs> and you were one in twenty million or one. You were the winner. You were the winner. You swam to if, that egg if, first. If and you got want to there. think about those numbers, you were like one in a hundred fucking billion. Whatever it might Whatever be. Whatever it is, yeah. That is a crazy, crazy thing that's just the chance of you being alive. You won the fucking lottery. Well, what are the fucking chances of being here? And then to think, like, there's so many ways to look at your life and realise that, fuck, how valuable it is. Uh, like, appreciation for life. And that's mm. a, maybe a, another aspect of contemplating mortality and death. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, exactly, yeah. You know, that's, maybe that's another aspect of it. Just how fucking lucky you were to even fucking be here. Like, what a privilege. What are you going to do? You won the fucking lottery. What if you did win the lottery? We're throwing 20 million and $10 million around. What would you fucking do if you won that money? You know? So, like, you've won that jackpot. You are, you've already won the fucking lottery just by fucking being here. Like, they're crazy odds. So, I think if you can appreciate life for what it is and just the, even the small things in life. Like, one of the things I say in the book, I can't even remember what fucking chapter it's in. But, but I say, like, just to be alive and not an Angus beef cow fucking for slaughter. Just the, I, I don't, I, I think it's in the too. time is now. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. Chapter three. Yeah, I think, oh, I don't know where it is. Don't <laughs> that's going to get too carried away. Um, but yeah, I say, like, just the fact that you're a human being and not a cow for slaughter. Like, chapter four. Chapter four, there you go, you went far off. Um, you know, the you can appreciate and um, take the joy in life, the small things, like just a good cup of tea. You know, like just taking time, like every, like I, I do it all the time. You sit there, you know, like I live, um, you know, you've got nice mountain views and just look at the trees and just go, fucking how nice. 100%. Like, you know, like you can appreciate the small the things and like how lucky you are to be here and just enjoy a breeze on your face and just to spend time with your family and uh, your missus. I love my missus. I've got a great partner and she's been a big part. I made the decision to, you know, get, you know, sort my life out, but having good support in somebody. And sometimes you think, you know, like you take things for granted. You might have an argument with your partner or something like that, but sometimes you just, I sit back and think, fuck, I'm lucky. Like she's just a genuinely good human being. And you think like that is something that you take for granted in your relationship. And we, you know, the things like, fuck, how lucky am I just to have somebody that just cares for me and loves me and is just a good person, mm. you know, that they are. Mm. And then I think how lucky am I just to have a son and, you know, like to be a dad. And um, these are all small things and aspects of life that we all take for granted. Like we all take our partner for granted all the time. Take the fact that I'm lucky enough to be a father, you know, for instance, you know, and then I'm lucky enough to, you know, like live in Australia. Like what a country to live in. Like what what's about like, what's going on in Israel and uh, Palestine at the moment? Like oh, can you imagine man. fucking being in there? It's a fucking horrible situation. Yeah. There are people living in Ukraine, in fucking war-torn Africa. There's a fucking a lot of parts of the world that are not so fucking great. We've won the fucking lottery again just by living in Australia, living yeah. in the developed world. We got can go to the tap right now and turn on fucking water. Yeah. What percentage of the fucking Earth's population do not have that luxury? 100%. So I think um, – you know, this will come from, you know, like suicide and stuff like that and, you know, not feeling like life's great, but fuck life is great. And, like, you know, if, if you can just appreciate the small things and what you've got, mm. it might go a long way to feeling a little bit better. Yeah, 100%. But, no, thank you so much for taking the time, one, uh, jumping on the podcast with me and explaining a little bit and talking a little bit about your book that I'm like, – go out and get it, please. 
please. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. If you don't know the system like I didn't know the system, go ahead and... I don't even know why I'm talking to the camera. The camera's not even on. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, you can talk to Marty. Maybe I should charge it so that I don't have to drive blindly. It's an easily solved long. problem. <laughs> going to charge it for about 12 bucks from the server. Yeah. Let's sort your problem right out. <laughs> but audience, go, you can't see me, but you can hear me. Uh, go read the book. Go get the book because it is great insight of, um, one, the system, two, the mind, in a sense, trips or the mind uh, adversity that you go through mm. um, of someone who has been in the system or has been, sorry, in prison, but also the message that comes across of your life is short, what are you doing with it? Maybe you should start putting your life into question, in a sense, like mm. of what you're doing. But before we go, two more questions. One is what is – what 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 – is one message you'd like to put off? Oh, actually, no, three questions. What would you want have been put in the book that's not in there? Ego. Yeah. Um, it's probably, I touch on it and I'll refer to it, but I think that a lot of our issues and um, come from our ego. And the ego is a very, uh, it's a complicated topic because when I say the word ego, we I guess a lot of people get taken to an image of somebody walking around a big tough fucking chest puffed out. Egotistical, and fucking yeah. Egotistic behaviour, but that's not what the ego is. Mm. You know, there's a depth to ego that I would have loved to gone into the book. It's going into my next one. Excellent. <laughs> um, but I, I would say that um, it's an oversight on my part not putting it in, but it's good because I've got content for another one. Um, but I think that if um, – you can understand or tap into a little bit about knowing what's going on behind the thought process, um, then you're sort of starting to get a basic understanding or at least the premise of what the ego is. And uh, once you delve a little bit, you start to realise how much the ego is behind the wheel. Yeah. Um, it's uh, – I don't want to go into it too much because all that yeah, I'll yeah, be yeah, giving away the right thing. But, you know, like <laughs> – I guess a basic way of looking at the ego is like what is the image of yourself that you relate to or you see in yourself you um, you are attached to because we are attached to our ego. It's like who am I as who is Scott Karen and what do I um, relate to or what do I identify that is and who is Scott Karen? Yeah. And the other aspect of the ego would – and there's more to it but another aspect to the ego, ego <laughs> if I could <laughs> With a G, not a B, not the Ebo. E, the Ebo, my Ebo, um, would be that same, uh, the image that you are putting out to the world for others to perceive and who other yeah. people connect with and like what, what you want people to perceive and connect with. Yeah, um, It's multifaceted. There's a lot to it. But the, yeah, if um, I would probably, yeah, I'd love to put, would wish I had to put that in the book because I think um, it goes a long way to understanding some of the issues that you have. Um but it'll be in the next one. Excellent. So read that too when it comes out. Read this one first. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't got it, why not? Yeah, exactly. Explain yourself. <laughs> Second question. If the people if people choose not to read the book and still choose not to read the book, what is one thing you would say to them or, or the core message or the two core messages or three core messages that this book mm. is about for them um, to take away? Well, if I would say what would I like people – to um, take away from it or a message I'd like to get across if you're not going to read it then um, 
we talked about adversity. Um, like I said, I think it's got the greatest potential to be of benefit to your life if you can understand it or at least understand my view of it um, because it's through great suffering and great adversity that I've been able to make the changes. Like everybody's own set of circumstances and your own suffering and your own um, adversity is individual to you but something that's not a big deal to me might be the biggest deal in the world to somebody else and they mm. cause them immense suffering. Yeah. Um, so it's unique to you but it's what's not unique and what's universal is, is how you view it is what you get out of it. Mm. So if you can look at something negative and something that you've suffered or endured um, through a positive lens and try to work out what can I take from this, what can I learn from this, is life trying to teach me a lesson and I'm going to milk it for all it's worth, I'm going to turn something bad into something good. Um, anybody can do that. There's no one – I don't – I want to say I don't care what your circumstances are because that's the wrong way to put it, but whatever your circumstances are, whatever suffering you've been through, whatever um, your adversity is that you've had to endure, there is something good to take from it regardless of what it is. And I would say the harder it is, the more you've got to gain. Yeah, 100%. And the last question, if you could choose three superpowers, what would they be? (laughs) God, fucking hell. (laughs) (laughs) And why? (laughs) Well... I would fly because in my dreams I can fly and I fucking love it. <laughs> I would just out of the off. Um, I'd love to be able to fly. Um, but I guess if it's a superpower, I would just like to have the ability to – I want to understand all that I could understand. It's the ability to learn what I need to learn and understand it and have an under, like the nature – the true nature of things, the, see things for what they really are. Mm-hmm. Like I always contemplate – like I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but there's interesting arguments that people make around things like do we um, – do you live in uh, like say the Matrix or something say for instance, but like I contemplate weird things like that sometimes, but I would just like to know the true nature of reality. Um, you know, is there a God? Is there – what is this universe that we live in? Is there multiple universes? Um, mm. You know, the big questions, I guess. I just want a true – I would say to understand the true nature of life. Everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. I know that's fucking weird. Everyone's going to say, what the fuck is this idiot talking about? <laughs> you just read with the biggest load of shit I've ever heard in my life. But that would – I would say that's a superpower, to have, like, genuine understanding of the true nature of reality. Yeah. Um, that's two, I guess. And if I understand that, I don't need third one because <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> true, true. But, but you'll still be limited if you have a, a body that's only capable of flying and not doing mm. anything else. Um, the third one, I'm going to take a rain check on and I'll fucking <laughs> – I honestly don't know. Um, Move things invisibility. Invisibility. Yeah. <laughs> Get away with so much. I would not have gone to jail at all. I would have got away with everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to okay. say turn back time, but I think there's no value in that. I agree. Yeah. I actually agree with that. I think like that is a waste of time. You can't turn back the clock, and even if I could, I wouldn't. So, no, I wouldn't turn back time. I'd just be invisible, so I didn't get caught. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much again for coming on to the podcast with me and, again, uh, talking about your book. Thanks for having me on. Congratulations as well for selling 100 copies yep. so far. So far, yep. Um, and actually getting it published, going full out and putting in your own money. Like you said, you said it was mm. you know thousands of dollars to do. Mm. Like we talked about it earlier. Um, you went out of your own pocket to make a positive impact on 
mm. people's lives, and I think that's that's honourable. Yeah, well, money, and I discussed to you this with you beforehand. I, I'm not allowed to profit from this book. It would be seen as proceeds of crime. So, money has never been a motivating factor for me. It's not a motivating factor, and if it was, it couldn't be. I wouldn't. I'm not allowed to keep anything. So, I've put my own money into it because I am genuine when I say that the motivation behind this is to be of benefit to other people. I want to be of benefit to other people. I want to use my experiences for good. I want to, um, like I said, there's an aspect of redemption in there. I've put bad energy, negative energy, um, you know, bad negative actions, you know, which has been detrimental to a lot of people, detrimental to the community, etc. Mm. And I want to do the opposite. I want to put positivity out there. I want to do good things. I want to use my experiences for good. Um, so uh, there's, you know, buy the book by all means. It's good to get the money in, but it's it's not about money for me and I can't, profit for myself the money's going to go somewhere else the rights of the book are going to somebody else um so um yeah i did put my own money into it but because i wanted to as i wanted i needed to this for me was i have a plan i had a plan i had goals that i set for myself in jail which was a part of my uh, process to you know being a better man and being successful and all that type of stuff so writing this book you know was step one there's lots more to come um so you know profiting from it is not, not a, was no, not a consideration, but I, I wanted to invest, um, and it takes money to get these things up and running. And I was happy to put my own money into it because um, that's what it if that's what it takes to achieve my goals of being of benefit to other people. Then it's worth every dollar. Yeah, sweet. And thank you, everyone's listened to, to this so far. If you do want to go get the book, where can we find it? Um, you can go to my Shopify site, which is www.prisonpoetry.com.au. Um, or you can follow my socials, uh, which is Scott TK Kieran. I think Scott underscore TK underscore Kieran. I know that's a mouthful, but you'll find it. <laughs> you'll find it in the description anyway. Yeah, um, and there's links on my Instagram and Facebook that take you to that site. Um, I'm trying to get um, the um, uh, audiobook and ebook um, links up. There is links there that can take you to. Um, I think it's Chirp is the website. I'm trying to get the links up for Audible. Um, which is a site that people are more familiar with. Yeah. Um, so if you are wait, if wanting an audio book um, version or yes, ebook please. version, you can get it um, through the website, but you'll have to sign up to, I think it's Chirp. Um, but if that's not desirable to you, you can hopefully wait a week or two and I'll have the audible version up there. Yes. Yes, I want it. <laughs> get it. <laughs> All right, sweet. Thank you again very much for joining us. And uh, again. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. No worries. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you got a lot out of it as much as I did with the conversation with Scott. If you haven't already, grab the book at prisonpoetry.com or you can follow his Instagram tag, which I'll tag around here. Uh, You can message him on that and he will send you a copy of his book. So, I please encourage you, read it, check it out. Great, Great insights in the book throughout the whole book. Um, and hopefully, again, you apply it to your life. King up. <laughs>